Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get the grog on. If we turn into this, we're going to get a lot of stuff done. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to be awesome. Featuring your hosts. Hi, this is Bill Barsh. I am the managing director of Paysetter Games and Simulations. Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a longtime cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5e editor for Frog God Games. Somebody here call a carpenter? I'm John Hook, game designer and podcaster. Now to both. This is Lou Alu. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player, 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night. We get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. Good evening, listeners. This is Lou Alu. We have another great episode of This Old Dungeon for you. Tonight, I've got my usual knucklehead friends with me. Oh, hey, how's it going? This is Edwin here. And that's Bill over there on the mute button. <laughs> you guys can't see his uh, <laughs> close caption there as his, uh, he reaches the limit of his cell tower. Um, exactly. But we have Bill live driving to Florida with us. Uh, or maybe he's a pastor. I don't know what the laws are where he's at with the cell phone. So maybe he's, he's with a- us. He's going to be with us 70% of the time this evening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's back. Now again. he's sideways. Uh- <laughs> Oh, man. Are you sure you don't want to record this and put this up somewhere? <laughs> this is going to be wonderful. And, and that there, you probably know the voice. I know I do. This is it, definitely going to be touch and go. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. It was. Our, uh, our special guest tonight, uh, live from the great state of Oregon. Washington. Did I get it right? Washington. Washington. Yeah, I, got it. I didn't go high enough. Yeah. <laughs> Canada <laughs> South, just like Edwin. <laughs> <laughs> that's right we got west canada south and east canada south represented yeah. here yeah but got- i want to officially change my name to mr touch and go after uh, <laughs> the uh, the bar treatment there <laughs> mr touch and go sounds like uh, somebody that's gonna end up with some charges i don't know oh you know? yeah for sure <laughs> anyhow this is skeeter green with us skeeter how you doing tonight Excellent. And I'm going to take every opportunity to derail this podcast that I possibly can. I am an Good agent luck. of chaos, bitches. You, you, you imply that there are rails to be deed yeah. and I well, haven't seen exactly. them yet. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen very many. It's just kind of the hint, maybe the suggestion. We have not even found the third rail yet. <laughs> Talk about Mr. Touch and go. Yeah. Uh, all right, oh. guys. Yeah. Take me on this wild and wonderful tour that is your podcast. All right. Awesome. Well, we, we always start by talking about gaming. How, how's everybody been doing? Who's, who's actually gamed some lately? Uh, I have. I <laughs> <laughs> Man, they got real quiet for a minute. <laughs> start us so, off, Edwin. Um, I am involved in a 
uh, YouTube actual play of the essentials kit. Uh, what is it called? Ice Spire something something. The five E essentials kit uh, in in French. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm playing in that with a a guy out of Quebec, and that has been uh, that has definitely been a hoot. He's uh, doing so he's running the adventure and then and posting those videos, and then he's in parallel posting videos of what he's changing from the published adventure to sort of try to help people uh, adopt and adapt, sort of think about how you take a published, kind of like what we do, how you take a published adventure and actually use it at your own table. Uh, so that's been pretty fun. So that we just had our third recording to make our fifth episode. And we had our first, <laughs> so we're all, I don't remember, we're like second level or something. And uh, we, uh, we were hanging out outside of this mine and we saw off in the distance a dragon. And so the most of us ran into the temple to hide because, you know, duh. And it's one like of the level, players right? was like, yeah. well, my character is going to go out and distract the dragon. <laughs> so we had our first character. One death. bite at a time. <laughs> oh, no. just <laughs> Yeah, it was just there was nothing left. Um, so... You distracted the hell out of him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That was that was a pretty good choice, um, and I'm still in Stone Hell. Uh, that's been pretty good. Um, Inver, uh, nope, not Inverness. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the one in Hell? Um, Avernus. Avernus. There we go. Um, so I, we've got all I kinds know of games my hells. <laughs> exactly. You are a personal representative. You're like the salesman. Which hey. kind of hell would you like this evening? <laughs> Do you have a moment to talk with our Lord and Savior, Hell Realty? <laughs> I just like that everyone could say still in Stone Hell. I mean, it just sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> if we're ever getting out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my uh, my recent gaming, or some nice. of it anyway. Awesome. Peter, you... I'll be, oh, I'll be super quick. Okay. Oh, yeah. I haven't done shit. So, <laughs> Surprise! Uh, there's a dun, shocker. Dun, dun. However, uh, the, the nice uh, actually thing about this, this is my last month of work. I actually am uh, retired uh, as of today. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. But it's been a, a, a real, as you can imagine, crazy last 30 days uh, transitioning out and, and all that kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Onward and upward, and now I'm. Uh, I mean, I've been doing game-related stuff. I'm getting ready for North Texas. Obviously, we got that coming up, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got the uh, tournament kind of all wrapped up, and uh, I'm just putting the finishing touches on a uh, Gamma World adventure that I'm I'm running uh, Saturday and maybe Sunday for the new nice. Gamax. Yep. All right. Very cool. Any suppose... any open seats at those? Uh, every, I think everything's been sold out. I mean, yeah. I, I typically, I mean. It, it's just it, it's because we got a great crowd at NTX. The the DD tournament sells out almost instantly every yeah. year. Um, and the uh, my Saturday night game is usually got a waiting list. Um, but I am gonna run it. I think Blue. I'm gonna run it Saturday or Sunday. I'm st I'm staying till Monday since I don't have to be back to work on Monday. And <laughs> don't rub it uh, in. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I've waited a long time for this. Uh, <laughs> and it, as, as, as our readers or our listeners will remind me, I am the old gray wolf. <laughs> so, uh, 
Hey, not by but, much, uh, yeah. man. I'm catching up to you. <laughs> well, and you're, and you're the only one with enough hair to call yourself gray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll be running it Sunday, Lou, at some point. So just, you, you know, we're going to talk anyway. So Yeah, yeah, I'll hunt you down. Uh, I got, I got a game it. till like in the afternoon. But if you're if you're doing it later now, man, yeah, I, I, I'm I driving so I can leave whenever. All right, yeah, let me let me check with what's going on with uh, Gary and, and Mike and stuff at the end of the con, but um, we'll figure it out and we'll get you in. It's just, there you go. Nice. How about you, Skeeter? Uh, I should actually say that I'm uh, doing a Twitch stream for Praetor's Rejects. Uh, we're playing the free league game Aliens and nice. enjoying the shit out awesome. of it. Awesome. Uh, <clears throat> we're two sessions in and uh i think it was wednesday was our our last time we played uh i got shot in the arm and like it blew half my arm off but i'm still kicking and i may have an alien implanted in me i don't know it's wonderful <laughs> one can hope yeah <laughs> and what so, happened to your character uh yeah <laughs> exactly uh, no and the great thing is they set me up with uh, one of the marines that is the most reminiscent of deadpool so all i do is talk smack the entire <laughs> the entire game and blow shit up with a rocket launcher it, it's wow, literally it's the best game ever <laughs> me, yeah. yeah i know i mean there's no stretching involved here <laughs> so, so much for taking on a different uh uh, role-playing path there Peter. yeah <laughs> hey uh i i am enjoying free league like uh it's a new resurgence in gaming they That's a really lot cool. of a lot of their titles are just top shelf so and they've yeah, got way more stuff coming out yeah we need to hear more we definitely need to hear more about that because i'm i don't know enough for sure oh um, yeah yeah we can we can talk the, it up <laughs> one of the questions i had for you because i always get uh, mothership in the aliens game kind of confused when people are talking about it it is in the aliens game is it the kind of thing where you actually have like a troop of characters then you just kind of play a little little piece of each one at a time or, or no is that maybe uh, mothership? For, for i don't know if that's how because there's two modes that okay. you can play this in you can play it in game mode whatever that is or like we're doing it's cinematic mode so there are you know, when there's downtime, there's cutscenes. So they take us from, you know, action point to action point, or uh, <clears throat> like what happened, we found some people we were looking for. We may have started a bar fight, which led to a police station, which strangely burned down Weird. Due, due to rocket fire. And then bizarre, a, bizarre a hospital caught on fire. <laughs> Um, I Not may the children's may ward, though, right? Been in all of these places, uh, but yeah, it's uh, so. I think Mothership is a little bit different, um, but yeah, this is only my second game of Aliens. Uh, the first one I played was at uh, oh, Total Confusion, and um, Jay Parker ran that one. And it was a lot of fun. So I you came back to start a game of Alien in uh, or Aliens in uh, a couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as I was told, don't pre-read anything. I, I never I even I even went and bought <laughs> the uh, starter box for uh -huh. Aliens, and I have the the core rule book. But yeah, this even the starter box 
comes with dice, comes with a whole bunch of stuff, comes with the adventure, comes with a condensed rule book. It's really Free League is is nice. top notch, yeah. On top of their game. That's really cool. Do you guys know, is it Gary that runs the Aliens game there at the convention at North Texas? Uh, Gary and Jay Shields. Jay and, Jay and his dad. And is that yeah. this Aliens? Yeah. Or is that the one from like the 90s or, or two, early 2000s? I think I this is another the early. It's, I think this oh, is the okay. early one. It's the '90s one. It's the yeah. uh, uh, God. I can't remember the name of the company. It's no longer. Yeah, I can't either. Um, starts with a D, but uh, it'll come to me. Yeah. But uh, yes, it's the '90s version. It was the the card company, wasn't it? The one that had like all the card games. Uh, yeah, that was. That's a different game. Yeah, but wasn't it the same company uh, that had like the Star Wars and the Star uh, Trek uh, Dell? Man, the, the, not the cipher, right? The cipher. That's who I was thinking of. Was it them that had made the aliens game? I don't. I don't think so. We'll, we'll get back no, to you, I listeners. We'll, we'll we'll get this cashed yeah. out off screen, and we'll get back to you on that one. We're gonna thumb uh, wrestle to figure out who's right. <laughs> I'm so seeing I, uh, leading edge. Is that who you're all thinking edge. of? That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a D in the middle. D. Yeah, it's yeah, D and leading, and a D and edge. E I swear there was an E. Yeah, in it. absolutely. <laughs> I, I I would Google it, but that would be really bad right now. Don't do that. Don't do that. We've got you covered. He's already driving on two wheels. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, there we are. Uh, yeah, leading edge. Uh, yes, this is not that. Yeah. So Alan Grover <laughs> runs that also, but I don't think he runs it in Texas anymore. He used okay. to. He used to bring all his, you know, giant uh, table and all his miniatures and everything. So, so I've actually gotten two games in since the last time we played, which which is double what I had the time before, but. Uh, so I, I got to run my uh, Time Lost Citadel at uh, Romance of the Cyclops Con, which is the Goodman cool. Games online convention. Yep. And then uh, oh, a buddy of mine ran me through a game. He's getting ready to launch on Kickstarter this last week that was a DCC adventure. It was really nice. Really, nice. It's a, it's like a uh, odd fairy tales kind of theme, and it, but it was really cleverly done. It wasn't, you know, it, it, was, it was like pushing the whole grim side of things you know where it's the fairy tales are, are pretty like you know rough you know uh are you well, uh, fairy tales really are yeah they yeah are like the original rough. yeah oh yeah are you allowed to say something useful to help your friend who's gonna start a kickstarter shortly or is this yeah. all sort of <laughs> uh, I, I can't yet because i don't know where he's yeah, I, I definitely will talk him up when he's getting closer, but uh, Excellent. It's, I don't know how far out he is, and I don't I haven't sure. asked him about saying something about it. But uh, uh, at any rate, so I got some gaming in. I'm happy. It's that's been awesome. a good couple weeks. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. And next week, all oh, the gaming. Next week, all the gaming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll probably yeah. triple the amount of gaming that I've done this year when, when that oh, convention yeah. goes down. I am missing yeah. so many games in order to go to North Texas. But it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I actually get to play in some games this year. Like yeah, yeah, it's gonna be crazy. I know. I'm my my favorite one I get to play is my once a year battle tech. So, but I won't remember what happened Friday night. So we'll be able to talk about the next show anyway. So. <laughs> I, I never get in on the Friday night one. Everybody's just too fast. I always end up on Saturday night, which is fine. It's a fun crew then too. But man, yeah. Yeah, Friday night's got a secret club. Um, I was going to ask somebody something. What was it? Uh, yeah. No, well. It was Edwin. I, I'm sure of it. I, I, yeah, it was, I think, but I can't remember what I... Uh... See? <laughs> no, no, actually, it was you, Skeeter. I was going to ask you, uh, are you guys doing We your... look so similar. <laughs> yeah. <that's... 
Only when you're picking something off the floor. I mean, no. <laughs> it's like I'm the completely bleached version of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you if uh, you and Zach are giving your seminar at the uh, convention this year. We are. Uh, we have to do it a little bit early. So we're doing it Saturday at uh, 10 a.m. in the auditorium. There's a there's a lineup of great seminars. I know uh, Alex is Alex Kammer is part of a legal seminar. And I think I don't know who else is in that. If Matt or Ty are in that with him or. Steve Marsh or <clears throat> any of the multitude of lawyers yeah. <laughs> that are just walking around NTX. And anytime you ask any of them a legal question, Oh, I'm not practicing. So <laughs> it's, exactly. it's awesome. Um, but yeah. Uh, so Saturday we're doing that. Uh, there are several all day uh, Saturday, different seminars, but I have to call it to go to the auction. And then after the auction, I think there's something else going on. And just Saturday is just stacked Saturday's up. Saturday's a nuts day. Always a yeah, nuts I thought day. I had a seminar Saturday at 10, but it's, I'm doing one Friday at 10 with uh, Ken Spencer on sort of a, basically it's, it's a adventure design uh, seminar on uh but talking from sort of the publisher's standpoint. So I think, I think the idea is that I'm going to pretend to be the publisher editor and he's going to pretend to be the author and we'll sort of mock up the I conversation that goes through I that. I definitely want to sit in on that seminar. You, you come you, on you, over. Edwin, you got to promise that you'll go by the name, Mr. Touch and Go. Comes to the seminar. <laughs> this is Touch and Go Games. <laughs> yeah, the, the SWAT team in Dallas would just come in and say, nope, we're shutting this down. Forget it. Not with that title. <clears throat> yeah, NTX is going to be super busy for all of us, from all what us, I've heard. Yeah, yeah it's, it's yep. going to be really busy. But fun, all the way through. So Skeeter, having you on the program for the first time, we got to go through all the regular questions here, man. Uh, how did you get into gaming? What was your, your first experience? My first game, unlike a lot of people, I, I know exactly, well, I can find out exactly the date that the first time I played was because my uh, mom and dad had taken me over to my aunt and uncle's house to watch the Seattle Supersonics play in the NBA championship in 1978. <laughs> and I got super bored. So I went down in the basement and my cousin was there and he was playing this game and there was just paper all over the floor. <clears throat> and they asked me if, uh, if I wanted to play and I was like, yeah, how do I do this? And they launched into this long tirade of an explanation, but I did <laughs> stick around. I did play, and of course, I did get murdered by the other party members because I was the new guy. Right. And it was it was a, a homebrew campaign. My my cousin had these three little books that were with them that we were going through, and uh, yeah, they had just talked about. Yeah, there's there's going to be a, a bigger book that's coming out. I, I think one of us is going to pick that up. And then, you know, a few months later, I saw at the uh, bookstore, oh, player's handbook. I think this is the thing that I played. So, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's, awesome. that's right that's at the beginning. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So, yeah. And ever since then, ever since then, I got 
my own books I have played or DM'd or read the books for 44 years now. Isn't that a crazy number? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I I should not be old enough to have done anything for 44 years. And that's just how long <laughs> I was playing. I'm getting old. <laughs> and I'm feeling it. Oh. So D&D was your first game. Is that still your favorite, your go-to? Or what, what do you like nowadays? Um, I mean, D&D is always going to have that place as being the, you know, the the really special girlfriend, but uh, I have always loved Call of Cthulhu. I've always loved the uh, Lovecraft mythos and the lore and all the associated authors to that. And I played Call of Cthulhu when I was a teenager. So it had to have been, you know, second or third printing when they did that. I got to play it once and I loved it. And then nobody I knew wanted to play it because nobody else read the books. Nobody else was into it. And I like, I didn't get to play until probably the last, you know, 10 years that I've been able to, to play regular. And now they've got stuff like you two can Cthulhu and at Gary con, I walked by their room and they were like, didn't, aren't you the guy that wrote the book for the convention? I was like, yeah. And they're like, ah, so they invited me <laughs> in and I got to hang out and watch play and all this stuff. Really, really good people, really good group running that. If you can get into a YouTube can Cthulhu, it definitely try it. They got TVs and shit doing all this crazy, <laughs> like the ring video going on. And I was just, yes, I need this in my life. Please <laughs> more of this. So, so, so Skeeter, when you first played Call of Cthulhu, did you play it like at a convention or a game store or something like that? Because it sounds like it was definitely outside your regular game. Uh, yeah, I, I was at a different group of kids' house. Okay. That I got invited. You know, they heard that. Oh, so you play D and D? Why don't you come over and try this other thing? It's called Call of Cthulhu, and it's and I'm like, I'm in because <laughs> I. Yeah. Because I knew a little bit. I didn't know what the game was about. I thought the game was going to be like D&D. I didn't know you're dead as soon as you walk in. It's just how long can right. you keep your corpse motivated? Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah. We share a similar story. There. I, mean, I, I first played at a convention 30 some odd years ago, and I loved it. But I could never get my regular game group to play, so I, n- I literally never played it again, but until re- relatively recently. So we played chill, though, back in, you know, at oh, a certain point. Yeah. A cool thing was just just a it was same experience. You know, played it once and was like, "Wow, this is awesome!" Yeah, and I that was uh, the second time I played Call of Cthulhu was at Gen Con, uh, many years later, and that was the first yeah. time that I realized that some Call of Cthulhu players get really invested in their characters, and when you <laughs> and when you blow some shit up, man, you got to have an exit strategy to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, it was suddenly very uncomfortable. <laughs> naive players. Oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. I think a lot of us have had that um, that experience you know, in the teenage years of picking up Call of Cthulhu and, and, you know, playing it with a group and it's, 
you know, I don't know. I know as a young man, I was kind of like, well, I, I, I'm shooting and it's not killing it. <laughs> what? what? Right. Like, I'm going insane. Right. Why? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and then as adult coming back and going, Oh yeah, no, I like this. You know, this is, you know, it's nuanced. It's, you know, a lot more realistic. It's, you know, well, it's yeah. interesting that at least I think a lot, um, a lot of the more recent, you know, versions of D and D like fifth edition uh, incorporates a lot of the storytelling and kind of puts the impetus on the game master to really make an immersive world. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, that came a lot more from, you know, the Call of Cthulhu and narrative type games sure. than D and D. Because I mean, D and D started with the okay, we have a box of sand. Here we have these tokens. Let us move them around the sand which is fine to to a certain level but sometimes you're like why would i be doing this this is awful have you ever walked in sand this is horrible why am i reliving this but well and then and then call of cthulhu is you're gonna walk in sand and it's gonna be horrible and you're gonna enjoy it and the sand is eating you the sand is eating your feet exactly right yeah um but that's one of the things that i have tried to put in my in the stuff that SGP has done is more of the narrative kind of, I get a lot of flack about uh, this isn't a novel. It's a game book. You know, you're, you, the embellishment doesn't need to be there, but I think it kind of does. Cause I do little sidebars in a lot of my games for cinematic elements. We kind of mentioned before, it's like, Hey, if you think this, uh, instant is tense this is just like you know part two of it so <laughs> the movie so think about that when you're running this and really scare the crap out of your players you know that kind of thing i think because fear is such a hook for a lot of people it immediately immerses you in the game and if you can be immersed in the game you're going to get more out of it I think I could be full. No, I, know, yeah, I don't I, know. I think you're right. We, <laughs> no, no, no. It, they, they can both be true. They can both be true. And, and <laughs> I, I think you're, you're right on that hundred percent. I mean, D and D is more of a, uh, a storytelling game built around a mechanic where Call of Cthulhu is kind of the opposite, right? Right. It's, it's, right. It's, it's, it's mechanics that are built to work the storytelling aspect into your game. Um, and, and to make that work through your characters. And that's that's kind of why I think a lot of, a lot of D and D players do love Call of Cthulhu because it's di- it's so different. It, it just gives you a whole uh, another way of playing. I mean, you can never get away from the fact that D and D's roots are in tournament style gaming. I mean, that's, right. that was the whole impetus on it for first edition, honestly. So yeah, um, versus Call of Cthulhu is, is more of sit around the table and, and you're right, get immersed in a story and how does that affect your player characters? You know, and you know, and Lou has hit on it right, right. When we were 16 years old and you, you play Call of Cthulhu your first time and you're like, what do you mean I'm drowning in a pool of my own drool? Uh, this is ridiculous. And now, now you're 50 so years ridiculous. old. So ridiculous. Like, now, <laughs> now you're 50, you're like, I'm drowning you're, you're in a pool of my own You're looking at that fate. That's freaking yeah. cool. <laughs> like, that's not, the, that's not the worst way I could go. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Not so bad. Yeah, I, I really like that. I enjoy that more. So how did the voyage continue from there to, to you, you know, I, I think you, did you start off at frog gods uh, as far as, you know, d- designing and producing, you know, game materials or, or was there something before that even? 
way back in the year of 2000. <laughs> Let's hearken back, children. Uh, no, they. Uh, so I had been playing D&D and I had sent in, you know, my requisite amount of uh, submittals to Dragon and Dungeon Magazine and got my uh you know stack of thank you for your submission but at this time you know that i got enough of those that i stopped keeping them (laughs) so um i i when 3.0 came along and early in in 3.0 uh companies were just asking anybody hey we're having a contest you get a free book submit spells and we're going to put them in this book. And if we like your spells, we'll pay you and give you a free book. And I was like, hot shit. That's awesome. I, I'm going to do that. And my first paying gig in uh, RPGs was for Bastion Press's Spells and Magic. I had two spells in there. I got like $5 in a check, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. And then uh, as I find out later, that was a giant check in RPG. I was, was going to say, by the word, that sounds pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've never made more money. I know that, that was, that was pure gravy right there. Um, but also about the same time, um, this small startup company called Necromancer games had um, a message board. And I, I had been frequent frequenting en world back when it was actually a source of news so um see i can say that this isn't my show (laughs) uh but no i saw a link and i went on there and i was like the i was the third or fourth uh chuck Wright from necromancer and frog god we we can't figure out who was third and who was fourth on on the message boards, but I just started posting and talking to these people and they were, you know, it was Bill and Casey and the actual authors who worked there. And I was talking to Casey and Casey had written, I don't even remember what adventure it was, but he didn't understand the trap mechanics for 3.0. So he was all frustrated about it. And I said, well, I'll take a look. And they were super easy for me. Trap mechanics throughout the games have always been something that just clicks for me. I, I get how it works. So I did that for Casey and I think I gave it back to him the next day or something like that. And he was like, Hey brother, since you kind of enjoy this, how'd you like to do this? And I could, I could feel it is even in the message board, him piling all this you know, debris across nice. the table at me and uh, yeah, put it together, knocked it out. And they said, Hey, we'll give you a book for this. And I said, right on um and thus began my illustrious career of working for product uh and i did that actually for a while until i got to be kind of a oh yeah you know skeeter's the guy who can do traps uh necromancer had a contest a trivia contest where there was like 20 or 30 questions and whoever got the most right got uh, free product for life. Oh, wow. Fortunately, I won. <laughs> so once Bill figured out free product for life was maybe not the best idea, I was also already a partner and agreed with the decision we should not do that. 
Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, all those uh, all those books, Edwin, that I am owed. <laughs> yeah, I'll be coming to talk to you about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you about that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have a sit down. Um, so yeah, but that was it, so in early two thousands. Uh, RPG and and Bill will be able to speak to this way more than I am. It was the wild fucking west. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were a Absolutely. starting company, there were no rules. There were no real, I mean, there were ideas of what you could do, but the, the OGL made everything very strange. I, I remember the day yeah. that I went into the comic shop where we used to play and went into their back room where it used to be just tables and in like one little magazine rack of RPGs. Yeah. And it was, there's almost as many of those magazine racks of RPG stuff as there was comic books in the other room. And it's like, yeah. whoa, what's going on here? What happened to the world? What? Yeah, in the early 2000s, uh, I mean, if you could string three words together, you could put out a product and people would buy it because you only had, you know, uh, TSR or Judges Guild or Mayfair or any of the older, you know, they were on a distribution schedule. But now when it's 3.0 and computers are prevalent everywhere, any dipshit can put out a book and and they did and and we're and wildly the successful <laughs> um well and that was that old d20 era right right, and, right, and, right. And to be fair i yeah i missed most of that i was kind of that was kind of my gaming uh black hole uh during most of that era so i, I was the same way i kind of came back and i remember going into i think a half price bookstore or something like that i was on a job somewhere down south and we don't have those up north and uh i walk in and i i look at i go over to the rpg section because they said they had one and i see these like literally hundreds oh yeah of these books that i've never heard of yep. by companies i've never heard of um and it was all you know i think most was all it was, it was a 3.0 time period yeah. but i think everything was d20 whatever the hell yeah. that really means um basically like was, compatible was, to, to 3.0 yeah. pretty much yes and it was you're right there was you 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 couldn't read them all in a lifetime no it was crazy i was i mean crazy. i bought and sold collections of that stuff over and over until i just like why am i buying this i i have literally yeah. bought this book and sold it three times why do i still <laughs> have this uh so yeah but then so that was actually good in some respects, because there were so many people that were doing it. And then you started to get the backlash. So the cream started rising to the, to the top. Um, companies started going under and it really now, um, now the small, you know, boutique publishers like me and, and some of our mutual friends, um, I would say the quality of the books that are coming out now are so far ahead of the books that have come out in the past. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I, I would, I would agree a hundred percent, you know, there. it's the, uh, and, and the, con- the content is night, night and day. And Paysetter is a great example because <laughs> Bill, Bill has been doing this for years and now Ben is really raising the bar. I mean, I am constantly yep. impressed by what I see from just the evolution of this 
one company that has slogged through all of that stuff and really been forged in the fire of the the crap that came before yeah. them they they know uh it, it's like finding a path of looking at what not to do you know you look exactly yeah and we've done it <laughs> yeah i mean uh, both ways both ways but you you know it's it's it, it it really is amazing to watch like you said kind of this the disintegration of that d20 era publishing and then kind of the emergence of the OSR publishing, which, you know, really started out 05, 6, 7, maybe up to 08, where it really started kind of coming around. Yeah. I mean, it still weren't very many of us even back then. Um, but into what we're doing today, even, right? I mean, uh, you know, we're pulling out, We believe me, 10 years ago, I never thought we'd be putting out 300 page full color uh, hardcover books. Right. Um, as, as a company, well, and, you know, I mean, I think tech uh, changes in technology have, have really changed that also. Because I yep. mean, like you know, yep. back back then, uh, well, sure. you know, that book would have been you know impossible to to print for less than like ten thousand copies at a reasonable price. And yeah, absolutely, can, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. But, but you it, know, that is as much as I like to bitch about it. That is one of the few benefits of social media. I mean, it's made it so I a one man show can deal with enough freelancers to create a book and then get it sold enough that I don't want to hang myself from the process. And I will, <laughs> and I will do it like another few times. And, and that, and that is, that is only because of computing. I mean, we wouldn't have this podcast if it wasn't mm -hmm. for uh, the advances in computing and how people can do this stuff from, their home desks you know desktop publishing it is yeah imagine if we had to be in the same room to do this holy <laughs> sweet mama g <laughs> i i love my rpg friends but holy shit i do not want to have a nine to five job with them <laughs> no thank you I, I feel like every gamer goes home and is like man everyone in this hobby is a freak but me <laughs> 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 Jen That's tells true. this. Jen tells this story about the last time we were at Gen Con, and we were we were talking to somebody in the booth, and I was I was walking down the aisle, and somebody recognized me and said hello and all this stuff, and th somewhere in the conversation, dude took a knee, and and held my hand and thanked me <laughs> for being a part of Frog God Games, and I was like, you need to stand up right now. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is super weird. <laughs> Did and somebody embarrass you in public? That's amazing. I don't know <laughs> if I'm supposed to knight you or what. I don't know what's happening. And Jen is nowhere to be found, just looking at me, kind of kind of giggling. And I was, oh, thanks. Yeah, just leave me out here. Uh, I And to whoever that was, if I am outing your story, I did appreciate it. It was just very overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. So, uh, Frog God, uh, is the next step SGP or, or is there something between that even? Nope. Uh, I, I got really burnt out doing a book, uh, for Frog God just because I wanted it to be perfect. And I was still in the zone where I thought that was a possibility. So if I just put a little bit more time into this, It'll be perfect. There won't be any mistakes and it'll be used forever. You know, I got into that and 
we put it out and it was too much. I, I didn't want to do it anymore. And then, because this is when I was still at frog God, another project came along that happened to be the blight. So if anybody knows about that one, they know that's a pretty big book. Uh, and I was, yeah. I was already kind of in a depleted state and, uh, I didn't want to do it. So we were slogging through that and got, got that one. I think we got that one done, but I went, yeah, to, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I've got one. I know, I know I got the, it may not be done still. You know? Exactly. Um, but we went to Gen Con 50 and they had the big uh, museum, mm-hmm. the D and D stuff in, there, yeah. in lucas oil stadium and i went through that and i was with jen and i was pointing out all this stuff oh look at that i remember that and oh look at that i used to have that uh you know we're just total you know 12 year old kid thing and then we get around to the end and there's this glass case and i'm looking at this book in the bottom of this glass case and my brain is just not picking up what it is so I kind of get down on hands and knees and I'm looking at it and it was the metal cover version of Bardsgate, which was the <laughs> one that I just finished and that I wanted to be perfect. And it, it was from Bill Meinhardt. That was, that was his collection in that, in that section of it. And that really meant something to me that a For book sure. that I had tried so hard to get perfect was in this museum next to, you know, Gygax and Arneson and it had you know Stefan Picorni's first uh terrain in the in this case and there was you know the the Call of Cthulhu box set in the two-inch box you know <laughs> just all of this super cool stuff and that kind of made a difference and it recharged me a little bit and I came back and I finished whatever project I was on if it was the blight or or whatever and then i thought to myself is the only reason that i can make these cool books because we have built an awesome team i mean could i do this on my own and then that evil little seed was in my brain for long enough for me to say you know what i have to find out i have to know if i am good at this or if i am just part of a good team and the question is still up in the air so, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I, I, I have, like, managed, right? Both I have, yeah. I well, have and I don't think anyone can books. do it. No one can do it well and not be part of a good team, no matter how good you are. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, definitely having the network of people that I know and being able to ask questions and and that that is the impetus why uh, Goddamn It Zach turned into Skeeter <laughs> and Zach's small publishing seminar. It's like I needed to ask people questions. And other people who haven't been as fortunate to meet the people that I have may not even know how to start. And that's why we kind of preach the whole networking and and go up to somebody and ask them a question. I mean, I I know I was on Messenger with Ben Barsh today asking him some questions about some things. So... You know, you're that's quite a feat because he was in Scotland. I know he was on the plane when I messaged him. <laughs> he was on a plane coming back. Yeah, yeah. He was like, are always traveling, man. Yeah, he was like, I'm supposed to do this traveling. podcast thing. Do you know? I know you're a young yeah. guy. What's a yeah. podcast? Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's that's one of the things is just 
um, when I was a teenager and in my early twenties, I was in bands. So that kind of band grind where, yeah, we're selling, you know, cassettes and CDs out of the back of the car is not bullshit. That's actually how we had to do it. And it gives you kind of a work ethic that you have to have to be a small publisher in RPGs. I mean, you, you got to grind. I mean, mm-hmm. Lou, yeah. you, you know, yeah. over the last, what is it? Three or four years. Yep. I mean, getting to wear all those hats, you, you got to yeah. be the salesman, you got to be the you know producer, director, everything, you know, it's, and I'm an artist. <laughs> yeah. And the buck stops with you. Ultimately, if somebody F's something up and doesn't come through, that means you got to figure out how to do mm-hmm. something because book deadlines, you can't just tell a public, uh, a printer, oh, hey, I'm going to be a day late. And they're like, oh, hey, sorry, you're not getting the book printed. <laughs> you know, that that kind of thing. So, yeah, we just wanted to pass that along to people. And now it's kind of taken on a life of its own and through some of the small publisher seminar i i put together or helped put together the ipu the independent publishers union which is not a union it is strictly (laughs) union name only (laughs) yes it is strictly the lamest biker gang uh humanly possible we have (laughs) dance-offs we don't we don't rumble uh yeah so i mean that's kind of my meandering (laughs) tour of what i've been doing the worst cult that we ever made (laughs) (laughs) so uh now speaking through closed lips it's very impressive (laughs) yeah (laughs) The carousel film here we got going on uh so the uh scp uh yes your, your, your litany of products did, did it start with uh crypt of the uh, science wizard or was there something before that because that's where i kind of came on board with your products yeah um crypt of the science wizard for fifth edition and swords and wizardry was the first product and uh when i did that one i I didn't really care how much it cost. I specifically wanted to make the detached module cover that had the map on the inside. (laughs) And then it had, you know, some, some nice weight paper to it. And it has the detached art booklet. So you can flip through like, you know, barrier peaks and all that stuff from two mahors. mahors. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I specifically wanted to make that. And it has been a huge pain in the ass because all of the components <laughs> fall apart. I mean, they don't, they don't fall apart, but like if you have a detached cover for a module that will detach itself and fly to the moon, mm-hmm. you know, the, the art booklets, I have to, every time I ship it, I have to make sure one's in there. So I think it's a cool, cool product. Uh, I then, because of some of the response, I made a version for dungeon crawl classics and instead of doing it for yet another rule set, I combine them because the Crypt of the Science Wizard just screams, you know, science and fantasy. So I put them together and they they merged really well, got a lot of really good response from that, which then led to a monster book, the Crypto Codex. And then and then we had the Valley Out of Time. 
because I liked I liked the little monster books in digest size because I thought, oh, that's easier to carry around. And uh, our our good friend uh, Levi Combs from Planet X Games is the zine master. <laughs> Uh, he puts out a zine every 16 minutes, like clockwork. Um, <laughs> like a chicken laying an egg. Yeah, he is. Uh, so I decided to take a swing at the Valley Out of Time. And that came from just my love of Frank Frazetta paintings and Roy Crinkle paintings and, um, you know, Land the Time Forgot and Harryhausen movies and all that yeah. stuff. You know, all that classic 60s, 70s kind of you know 3d monster you know (laughs) dinosaur stuff um so uh it's a six-part series of uh digest size books uh part one and two uh the kickstarter for that funded a couple of months ago all of those are out and right now i have a kickstarter for parts three and four going right this very minute all right, so, folks, you heard it. It's a yeah, press pause on your player, go to your computer, get on Kickstarter. Yeah, go, go to Kickstarter, the Valley Out of Time series, part three and four. Uh, so please, yeah, give it a look. I've gotten, I've gotten a number of very happy responses, which is always amazing and wonderful to get. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you another one right now. I got mine in the mail, I don't know, uh, a week or two ago, right, Skeeter? I think you sent them out. Yeah. It was longer, and they're fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, fun. Just fun. Absolutely a fun read and uh, must buy. So jump on the Kickstarter, people. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I tried to make it. I mean, you know, there there are Jungle Adventures, obviously. Uh, Isle of Dread is a huge uh, influence. And uh, Watsy just did. Uh, tomb of annihilation with a whole you know jungle around it and the valley out of time is not trying to step on any of those toes i deliberately didn't put much backstory in some creeps in in the uh in the books as we go along just because that's the nature of how things work uh but i designed it so you didn't have to play you know uh tomb of annihilation or valley at a time mix them mm-hmm. take some of the encounters i i tried i tried to make uh, valley at a time very plug and play and just a resource that you can take some of these cool things and plop them in yours your home campaign and if you don't like it then don't play it uh surprisingly enough in uh part four there are three warning messages for some of the encounters in there that they please uh, talk with your players before you use these encounters. <laughs> they get a little gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking like like X card sort of thing where like you know might might touch somebody's uh, oh. nerves on a, a particular you know body horror kind of thing or something like that or what? what uh, are we no, it's yeah, it's all of that. Oh, that it, <laughs> it's it's very it's very much. Um, they're things that are going to make people uncomfortable. And that was the goal. I want to have a level of discomfort because I think that ties into the fear mechanic and makes you invested. But I also don't want somebody, you know, getting pushed past their boundaries where they don't enjoy the game. That, that's, that's not fun for anybody. And I don't want that. And most of the time, uh, GMs are 
they seem like they are efficient enough to know when to call that, but maybe if somebody's new, it doesn't cross their mind. So it's just a little, you know, I'm not trying to be any social advocate for any one thing and not against anything else. I don't give a shit what you do in your game. Just if some of this seems good and you want to use it in your campaign, please do. If you don't like it, don't buy the goddamn book. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate you taking a look, but I, it's not a textbook. This is for fun. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not having fun. What's the point? What's the yeah. Point? Yep. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a, I'm a big kid. I can uh, I can make those choices for myself, but some people can't. Do you mind if we? I want to. Can I sneak back a little bit to the, the, your your first uh, print of the uh, Crypto Science Wizard? And I, I love the fact that you did do the, the separate cover into your books and all that. But kind of a, a funny thing, which I always ask people who did that, because we did our first uh, three or four years of modules, we did it in the same way. Right. And we kind of got away from it because at conventions, every time people pick them up, yep, they slip out and drop on the floor. Because no one's used to doing that anymore, yeah. looking at books that way anymore. Especially if we have multiple components, like a map book or a illustration book in there with it. And I'm just, I'm wondering if you encountered that too at the Crypto Science Wizard. Oh, it's, all the time. It's kind of funny, funny, but not when it happens, right? So yeah. Um, so the the DCC versions are the ones that uh, have gotten the most traffic uh, at conventions recently because they that conversion came out later. Uh, and that one, I specifically had the cover attached, so it's not yeah, quite it. it's not quite as big of a deal with that one. But the separate art booklet goes with all of them, and every yeah. time somebody picks up the book, it falls out. So yeah. we, we tried all kinds of different ways to avoid that. You know, we started putting everything in plastic sleeves. That yeah. didn't work. I mean, it's just as long as I'm aware of somebody's somebody's looking at the book i can watch and make sure yeah you know if something falls out yeah, i hand yeah. it to him so yeah yeah well, i think actually though ben's i think the ben did a, a throwback ad&d precision module for ntx this year uh so to help fund the convention i'm pretty sure that one's we've got a separate cover on that yeah one, honestly so yeah i remember that that's that's one of the ones i got to pick up when i get there yeah, it's it's, it's long actually really list. Nice yeah. Oh my god, I'm, I know. I'm gonna be spending a lot of money. I know. <laughs> Looking forward that, to it. <laughs> that's the funny thing yeah. is uh, when we have vendor tables at conventions like Game Hall and stuff like that. The amount of other vendors and other publishers who come around to everybody's stuff. It's like it's really nice to see everybody supporting and finding mm -hmm. stuff that they yeah. like and and helping the little guys because man i ain't quitting my job to do this first of all i don't have that kind of hustle and second of all i'm not taking that pay cut <laughs> so forget it yeah. you know i just like to do this to have fun i was gonna ask you a question on uh encounter design because i think we all think about you know doing the whole dinosaur jungle thing and how awesome exciting that'd be but then you get down to putting that on paper and it's like oh well here's this big bag of hit points and you know there it is how, how did you make it new and interesting what did you do with some of the dinosaur encounters in, in your products here uh, for the valley series um what i did what i found that made sense and worked is 
instead of making like a, a lower hit point uh, situation, I, I kept the monsters. I mean, there are, there are two or three encounters involving a T-Rex. Um, and in all of the encounters, the party either notices the T-Rex before it notices them or it's fighting something else. So adding kind of the multiple side combat, while it makes it more complex for the GM to wrap their head around, it also, you, you can kind of nuance, oh, well, this T-Rex is kicking this Triceratops's ass, but here's the party. Oh, the T-Rex is now kicking their ass. Well, the, <laughs> the Triceratops is going to attack. And it can kind of divert the attention to give the party a few more rounds. Because ultimately in the game, if you say T-Rex, yes, the party is going to fight it. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> we, we, we ran into a T-Rex a few weeks ago, and I, I think the GM was shocked that we, like, like he gave us a lot of warnings. Like you hear this noise off in the distance. Yeah. And we're like, okay, great. And then he's like, it's thundering towards you. Okay, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, yeah. bring it on, bring it on. No, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and looking at the mechanics, because I tried to figure out in, in D&D terms, if a T-Rex fought a Triceratop, who would win and how long would it take? Oldest and, game in the book, right? Batman yeah. and Spider-Man, go at it. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and looking at it, it's not even close in, in the game mechanics. Not even close right. so uh there in a lot of this encounters there are multiple sides you know it's it's not just a party against antagonist it's a party and the antagonist has taken down this beast and they're feeding so you have the drop on them but oh shit out of the jungle comes some more things that are you know trying to fight all of you so it gets a lot more chaotic but it's quite a bit like what would actually happen if you were fighting dinosaurs somewhere, you know, that's going to, that's going to make some noise and that noise is going to make some, is going to gain some attention. So, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine a, a, any red blooded D and D party, honestly, running away No, in that situation. Honestly, I mean, it, it's, it, it kind of reminds me there's, I'm not, there's the movie Grown Ups with Adam Sandler, right? Yeah. And you know, if, it, if everyone hasn't seen it anyway, they're out they're out by this lake and there's this swing, this rope hanging from a tree that goes way out into the lake and drops you like 30 feet into the water. 100% and, I'm trying that. <laughs> yeah, ex right, exactly. And that's it. And I know he looked at all the kids who just are like looking all confused and he goes, what do you mean you see this rope in a lake and it doesn't make you want to go nuts? I mean, that's the same <laughs> kind of thing, right? Yeah, no, Exactly. <laughs> Um, exactly you're and just, you're gonna go i mean it's go time and so that and uh that was actually you all in, know you're probably gonna die but yeah it's go time. <laughs> in in crypt of the science wizard i actually exploit that mentality with some of the traps and obstacles uh and tell people after the fact you know spoiler alert if you haven't played crypt of the science wizard some of the obstacles are just there to mess with you <laughs> <laughs> not 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 to mess with the characters to mess with the players yeah because <laughs> sometimes people think they're oh so clever and you know it doesn't always things aren't always what they seem sure and we're, we're gonna get into a lot of that tonight i think here just yeah we are <laughs> so uh 
Fellas, any other questions that the, you have for Skeeter here before we move on to the mail segment here? I'm ready to go answer some mail. I think we're ready to go, yeah. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. So in our letters to the Homeowners Association, uh, we have, what do we got today? Three, I think. Two, Wait, two, three, I got, three. Before we actually go into the loop, I had home, so... I had to dip into that. I, I did watch uh, uh, both DVD versions of The Hobbit, the older one and the the newer uh, digitally released. I, I, it's just a newer version. It's the same movie, but I think it's anyway. They fixed the sound issue. Make a long story short, uh, the, the the newer release. Unlike on this Sounds podcast where we're having you. the sound right. issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the sound yeah. issues. The, yeah. the irony which is, which is, is, which is thick. probably Which is probably me somehow yeah, driving. <laughs> was yeah, perfect. Probably so is. That was perfect. Man. Um, but uh, <laughs> ask me how I could possibly have a problem here. But um, anyway, and then my other piece of homework was I did go back and look at the Gamma World Legion of Gold uh book it is one, definitely right? nothing like the original module i mean oh, okay doesn't even it, it forget it other than sharing the name it vaguely resembles but not it, it's not even close they they want to told basically a total different direction so and the og uh-huh. is way better than the new one good to know so there's my homework for for our old letters to the editor so <laughs> So for our uh, new letters here, uh, full disclosure, the, the first one up here is from a buddy of mine that I grew up with back in elementary school, and he, he uh, we still talk. He, he's been kicking out some artwork for me here for about all the projects I've had lately. Uh, this is from Christopher Tupa. He says, hey, guys, I really enjoy the podcast. I listen to it every time I work on an art project for Lou. Here are my questions for you. Do you see an increase in new and younger people joining the community or do you yes. see the RPG community sort of staying where it's at? Yeah, nope. any, yeah no, definitely not. Uh, yeah. I'm curious how the RPG scene is developing with so much digital gaming pervading the landscape. If you are seeing an increase in young new people in the RPG community, what do they bring to the community? What kind of changes, good and bad, and what kind of improvements do they bring? Thanks again for the great podcast, guys. So, I mean, obviously, I think we all agree. It's changing, changing big all the time. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I I mean, the digital gaming thing, I don't know if, I mean, I feel like, like video games and RPGs have been dancing together almost since the beginning and influencing each other. And I don't think there's any way to untie those. I mean, those are so like that, that ball has bounced back and forth so many times that I don't even think we can pretend to think about one without thinking about the other. Um, but and I guess the other half of that, though, I'm not sure which, you know, digital gaming, because the other piece of that, of course, is the virtual tabletop and the remote being able mm-hmm. to play with your friends that are not in your house. And that's obviously been huge from a numbers game, but it's also it's definitely changed the way I game and the way I think about gaming. Like there are certain as a GM, if I know that I'm running a session um, online, I think about it a little differently in terms of what I'm looking to set up than I think about it. If I'm doing face to face, you know, what kind of props I'm going to have, what sort of adventures or what sort of, uh, encounters are more fun because we are looking at a computer screen or because we have a table in front of us. 
And so there's a, there's a different feel. I was also realizing that for me, one of the things that's uh, happened big time over the last, I mean, I've been gaming online for, I don't know, five, six years now. Um, but the two hour session is not something I would have even dreamed of yeah. uh, before I started playing online. And it's awesome. And now I'm sort of You're thinking welcome. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, I mean, what a great, what a great thing to be able to just drop in, play for two hours and have a, you know, sort of intense energy and then boom, onto the next, whatever. So I, it's been, there's been a whole mess of changes. I don't even know where to start with that. I mean, I guess I know where to start with that question, but we could go on forever with the answers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of difference in the way uh, adventure modules and, and, and even rule concepts are going to be put out there because of that two hour gaming block. Uh, you know, just like you saw on television when, you know, you went from, you know, hour long, you know, shows and whatnot in the fifties and, 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 earlier to little half hour sitcom episodes and things like that coming forward from there. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. So that, that'll be interesting to see. And then the, the people that you're gaming with, you know, you're, you're gaming with that guy in uh, Quebec and, and I, I've got a guy in California that I game with it in, in the earlier days of RPGs, there were, you know, East coast and West coast gaming and there's different styles and feels. Right. And, and that's just not going to be there anymore. Uh, you know, yeah, it's it, definitely it, worldwide. Yeah. Uh, Any anytime I'm in an online game for anything, and you know, if it's Goodman or if it was Gary Khan or any of the other ones, there is always I shouldn't say always, there is most times I can remember somebody who is from somewhere on the other side of the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Europe. Japan, Australia, Asia, Australia, always. And it's fantastic. Um, And just, just as far as the technology to be able to do that is great. But I think what the, the younger players who are, you know, putting content up for streaming, they understand they have to make something interesting and short. So that, that, you know, speaks to the rise in two hour slots of gaming. And I think that's actually going to get condensed. I think it's going to be down to an hour and a half, maybe an hour, because I think the more that uh, some of these newer people figure out, you know, the YouTube uh, market or Twitch or whatever, it's going to be just like TV. What can, gonna, what can we do in TikTok? Can we do a 60, 60 second encounter? Uh, I, I'm I game to try the, it. Only if the monster dances. I don't know what the rules are for that. I think you get up to three minutes. I think three, minute, I think three minute uh, game RPG session. I mean, imagine coming up with the RPG rules to facilitate three minute gaming sessions. Well, it, it would be fantastic to try that out at a convention one time where, yeah. where the GM has has their phone and they're like, click, okay, here's the encounter. These guys have to make a choice in three minutes. And then you describe it and then you turn it to them and you got three minutes or you're dead. You're watching the counter, I mean, the timer go down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the, the stress mechanic for that would be wonderful. Yeah, that would be amazing yeah, yeah. for that. It'd be hard as shit to do that. Well, I think <laughs> you only get have... you only get like a minute and a half to make your decision because then you have the, the other half minute to figure out what happened afterwards, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to well, get it yeah, all in there. So, so what you'd probably end up with is a 30 to 45 second description. You get like a minute to make your choice 
and yep. then the rest of the time is okay well in this choose your own adventure <laughs> right. you okay know, now roll a die and now here's yeah. what happened you, boom you <laughs> know, that, that's another thing that will probably get us down to that that lower time that you're talking about skeeters that you know on all these virtual tabletops all the die rolling rule book uh right. you know looking up of stuff all that that's all you know in the background now it's oh yeah my uh my aliens game we're playing in fantasy ground and that is an absolute godsend because all i gotta do is grab one thing it figures out the math it figures out how many dice i need to have i don't have to blow out my profanity lexicon just because <laughs> i lost a dice on the ground you know um so there's good and bad right. uh but yeah i i think i think the future in geekdom is going to be you know people basically jettisoning their normal tvs and they're just gonna have twitch channels for games they can either jump into or just that they can watch because people can talk shit all they want about critical role i find that very entertaining uh i don't have to be invested in it i can drop in and watch a session of their playing and, and it's just background noise and every once in a while i'll be like oh that was an awesome idea. There's I'm a good gonna, idea we're stealing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to incorporate that. Their, uh, their series on Amazon Prime, I, I was riveted. Mm. I loved that show. Cannot stand that little bard creep. <laughs> but at least the character was made that I have a reaction to it. Mm. You know, he's, he's one of those love him or hate him characters. Awesome. I think that is excellent storytelling. And I think that is the improvement that we've seen in the last few years is it's not, I mean, if you just watched a bunch of people roll dice and go through a game, that would be like watching golf. <laughs> and, I, and I know people watch golf. I don't know how they do it, but I know they do it. But having an actual story where you want to, you're interested in what the characters are doing. I think that, I think that's the way to go. I, if, I if your goal is to entertain, yeah. I think yeah. there's a, yeah. Yeah, I just definitely think yeah, yeah. If you're... a larger youth component coming into game, in the table. Bill, you're cutting out there. Oh, I'm sorry. You, I said, you uh, re re rewind the point you're saying, a larger youth component. I think there's a larger youth component entering tabletop gaming for sure. Um, yeah. And I think te the technology... Yes, please, please talk about technology. <laughs> technology and everything is. I'm not. Uh, but uh, anyway, that I, I do think that's a big part of it. I mean, I, I know I was just channel surfing live role play game going on. It wasn't um, critical role. It was something that I can't remember the name of it right now. But it was basically guys running a this four or five people through an adventure. It was on, it was on yeah. a regular cable network. It was crazy. Hmm. I, I, I yeah. will have to find out what that was, but I just, I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. <laughs> and, and I am firmly in the camp that if there are actors or famous or rich people who like D and D and they, and they want to play, that's awesome mm -hmm. that the, there's no that downside spotlight. to that. You know, you, you don't have to be, you know, that guy and be all like, Oh, now the popular kids like what I like. I don't like it anymore. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. You're only hurting yourself. 
One of the so, things I think that's fun that's related to that is a lot of the is that a lot of the young people who are coming into D and D are coming in because of something like that, which means they're not coming in with our view on how to play D and D or any RPG, right? And so they're they're pushing a different perspective back to us, which I that to me is super refreshing. So I think one of the things that we could say that what the uh, increase in young people to the RPG community is doing is giving us the opportunity to rethink what gaming is and what we like about gaming and what we want to keep and what we don't want to keep. And that's invaluable. I mean, that's sort of, and that's true. You know, anytime you have a generation, multiple generations working on the same thing, you get that, that difference of viewpoint. Um, And that that's been awesome. I mean, that's really, yeah. Um, I'm one of these uh, old sour pusses at times where it's like, man, what are they doing to my game? Or, you know, oh, you know, I, I can't stand that anime craft and stuff like that. Because, you know, I just don't get it. I didn't grow up with that. And so it's not the, you know, not the nostalgia that's, that's fueling right. my heart. But what I can say is that having all this new blood come into the, the hobby gives us a chance to take, you know, all this old stuff and blow the cobwebs off of it and say, Hey, young man, you ever seen this? You know, <laughs> you know, it, it gets some of that new, some of the old stuff, you know, in, in the new light kind of, you know, kind of what we're doing, you know? Uh, so I, I'm, holy, I'm happy. Holy shit. Know. How did we get Tim Cask in here? <laughs> <laughs> hey, well done, Lou. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, the, the different perspectives, like uh, Edwin was saying is totally totally invaluable uh my wife and my son when they play they are both very into investigation they want to know why something is happening you know you you always get the the amount of rpgers that are just door kickers but um you know i i have been very fortunate when they ask questions about something that i can't answer you know, that's why I have my wife, she gets credit in all my books because I have her look through it uh, for two reasons. One, since she's not a gamer, if she can follow the narrative and she can figure out what needs to happen where, then a GM can do it. Somebody who's a little more familiar with the game. Plus, she can also see things like, well, you know, on on page four, you said this happened. And on page 17, this, which has to refer back to that, that doesn't match up. And it's like, perfect. Thank you. So getting, getting those different perspectives, uh, especially for authors and, and producers and developers, it's, it's a great perspective to get. So thanks, um, Christopher, friend of Lou. <laughs> yes friend of lou that friend was a good lou. question uh next letters from godfrey donaldson uh, godfrey i love that man i, I, I that's that's awesome that's, that's gonna awesome. be a that's gonna be an npc i can tell you that right now that's right it says hello guys i've been enjoying your stroll through the ghosts of rpgs past i wanted to get into your drawing for the geek credit game well good news godfrey uh you sent us a letter you're in tonight we'll we'll roll the die here at the end of the podcast and see if you end up uh, getting matched up with Skeeter here for the uh, geek credit here. Um, I'll, I'll cheat for you, man. <laughs> uh, but he also has a couple questions for us. Uh, he says, will you guys ever cover the mech warrior RPG as a BattleTech fan? I have always thought about trying to play that system, but wonder if it's too crun- crunchy to support uh, to support the whole military drama that's represented in the books. 
So uh, Roundhouse here, anybody? I, I know I've got the game. I've never actually played it. I've always played Battletech and never been able to hook somebody into doing the role play side of it. I, I, I don't I know not. either of those, and I'm not a fan. <laughs> I love the way he asked this question. Yeah. Like, like uh, I just love the thought of, you know, it's not, is it too crunchy? It's just, is it too crunchy for this particular use? <laughs> that makes me super happy. I like yeah, that. That was very specific. Uh, I actually got to be on a, a stream for a friend of my wife's who uh, she was playing Battletech. And they needed somebody to be, you know, the whipping boy. So, of course, I got on there. And, oh, my God, they were not prepared for my style of role play of being <laughs> a mech pilot. Uh, it, it got a little saucy. And I mean, it was it was fun. It's like a pl platoon level. You know, they, I didn't know they stack horse shit that tall in Texas oh, or whatever that line. Oh, is. yeah. Like, no, uh, I, I guess my objective was just to hold them off for as long as possible. So, you know, the banter, the banter was strong with this one. <laughs> uh, I started calling their commanding officer dad. And it was just, I had a traumatic meltdown that made everybody delay. And I was like, we're doing it guys. We're surviving. <laughs> so uh, my, uh, my experience was with that was I won by not playing. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a lot of experience with it either. I mean, I've been playing battle tech forever. I think it's, I do think the Battletech RPG is just one of those games where oddly enough, I think a lot of people have it. I don't think a lot of people actually play it. And, and I know people do play it, so I'm not disparaging that, but um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't know if it's too crunchy for Battletech players necessarily. I just don't know that it ever made that transition. I know they sold a lot of it. I know a lot of people who have it. I don't know who actually plays it. I know a lot of Battletech players. And no one as I, I understand, it's it's virtually the same kind of mechanics as the actual BattleTech uh, war yeah. game, as far as like its D sixes added on to skill points, yeah. or you know, and things like that. But uh, which isn't that? I mean, you know, granted, you know, in, in the actual BattleTech game, and, and you taking all the armor damage and heat sinks and all that, that stuff, I, I don't think, you know, I don't know, but I don't think it's in the role playing game as far as your human characters go. I, I would assume it's a fairly rules light system just getting down to the skill stuff but i, I tell you what I'll, I'll break open the chest where i've got my uh rpg games that i, I want to play but never will <laughs> and uh i'll look through that rule book and, and i'll do a report uh, on the next uh episode tell you just how it. that how crunchy that one is awesome Lou's all right got lou's homework. got homework <laughs> <laughs> that's right good there's job a, godfrey <laughs> there's a part two and three here so the second part what do you think about the deadline or uh, deadlines? <laughs> I'm thinking about my Kickstarter here. <laughs> what do you think about the deadliness of the old RPGs? Was it too much? Are modern RPGs too soft? No. I'll go to that first. I, I do not think old RPGs are too deadly uh, at all. I think it's part of their game. And I do not think, conversely, I don't think modern games are too soft. I think they are designed for slightly different audiences and they they work well with with that in mind um so you know i, I know a lot of people think you know they, they have all kinds of funny terms like you know teddy bear dnd for 5e and stuff like that i i don't i don't i don't really see it that way i 
it's it, yeah is it is it the same as you know first edition dd of course not but I, I think the audiences are also slightly different and it's okay to have different game styles with mm-hmm. different editions of the game and i do not think old style dnd is too deadly i mean it, it it's part of the game yeah and i would say that it's not even i mean i am absolutely the audience for all of those sure like i love i love me some some deadly old stuff and i love me some deadly new stuff and i love me some not deadly old stuff and some not deadly new stuff and, and like, i'm not even i mean yeah i like i don't i don't my answer it's, is no i yeah. <laughs> i think it's i think it's very situational uh for both the old school games and the new games the game has to be run well if the game yeah. is run well then the the deadliness quotient is kind of mitigated by the the players themselves um first edition is definitely more personal responsibility (laughs) um because if if you're gonna fuck around you're gonna find out (laughs) you know uh everybody knows shadows bad uh (laughs) specters Oh my God, those are like the worst vampires. Forget about it. You know, you, you have that baked in authentic fear of things as you are supposed to. Now and that's so, a mechanical fear. Whereas like modern games, it's more of, you know, presentation and well, but it, it can still be a mechanical yeah. fear because man, you come at somebody in fifth edition with an exhaustion mechanic, you, mm-hmm. you can watch their butt pucker. Because that that is bad news, and that is the same kind of thing. Yeah, there are things that can treat that, but you get that immersive feeling of dread from some things in games if they are presented well. Now, if you're if you're running a game like Bill Webb and you have first level characters and twenty four vampires show up, it's like <laughs> uh, that may be a little excessive there. But that is on the particular game master. <laughs> because i've been in that situation (laughs) and we ran (laughs) which is also part of the game right i mean exactly yeah that's the thing is you have to know when you know it's time to go in fifth edition if one giant comes over a hill and he's got a rock in his hand you might think you can take him in first edition, when that happens, you pretty much know, oh, the other 13 behind him in the hill are just <laughs> waiting. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. So say moment of truth here and just going just based on your average game back in the day when you played original ADD, basic, whatever. Did you guys pad hit points at, at first level? Like I know we often played with, you know, first level, you get your full hit die. Whatever oh, for was, sure. You'd have to rule it. I do that in convention games all the time. I I don't remember what we did, but I know that I had a character survive. Like I had a magic user that made it to high level, and I think it was my first character. Oh, so, wow. like for me, this this like oh, it was so deadly. I mean, yeah, it's deadly, but that again, it's. It, it, I feel like it's not so much that it's more or less deadly, but that the, it was more arbitrary. I feel like that was the, I think the thing about old, the old specific, I don't want to generalize too much, but the old versions of D&D or D&D first edition, zero edition, like the, the save or die mechanic that didn't have any warning going into it. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about in Tome of Horrors, 
where you have no way of knowing and it's just, well, flip a coin and heads you're dead, tails you're not. <laughs> I think that was a much more common part of the game. And that to me was not particularly fun then and it's not particularly fun now, but that's not a deadliness thing so much as an arbitrariness thing. Like that just right. takes away the play. Like there's nothing you can do about it. And so mm-hmm. what's the point? Like, it's just, uh, yeah. Like even like travelers, you know, famed die, even die during player the- creation. That's not arbitrary. That's a, that's a solid push your luck mechanic, right? You, you made the choice. I want to be better. Therefore I'm going to stick around and maybe I'll end up dead. And that to me is exciting. Whereas the, you're walking down the hall and the GM sort of looks at their watch. And if it's on one side of the, the uh, hour, you know, oh, you're dead. And if it's on the other hand, like, like that's not fun. So I think it's more about the, the arbitrariness and the, the player, I guess player agency, player skill, like whatever, being a, mm-hmm. being a, a game that you have a chance at, as opposed to just uh, sort of, oops, I squished you. It's like playing war. You know, I, I can't stand to yeah, play right. war with cards anymore. You know, it's just like, what's the point? You're either going right. to win or lose. It's, you know, you're not going to do anything about it. Except, unless yeah, unless no you're good skill. at cheating, you're not going to do anything. About well, Edwin, Edwin made a great point about the arbitrary nature. And I think that is, more prevalent in older edition games because there was an adversarial relationship. It Mm -hmm. was GM against players. I mean, and that was, that was kind of a fundamental thing because you had a judge in war gaming that, that was trying to, you know, defeat the other group. And I think a lot more players now are more into as, as, I hate all the buzz buzzwords, but it's like a cooperative gaming. Fiction, like you're, yeah. you're telling a story together. Um, I, so I had to do an interview where I got grilled about this. Cause I came in hot with very strong <laughs> opinions about this. You And um, I, I finally got to the point of, I don't think of myself as for or against the players when I'm running a game. I think of myself as a coach. I'm going to push you, but I am, I am very much pulling for you to succeed. Mm-hmm. I want you to impress the shit out of me, but by God, you're going to give me your best game doing it. And, and that's how I kind of, and sometimes it works and sometimes it's too much and people shut down and that's just heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean, because because I don't know about you guys, but I can see it when somebody is like, I can't take this anymore. It's like blinders go up on their eyes. And I'm like, oh, I can see myself in your eyes. You know, it's that's not what I'm looking for. Um, So, yeah, I want I want us all to have fun. All right, let's hit this third part. Aside from books and dice, what gaming materials are must haves at your personal gaming tables? The books aren't even a big one. I was going to say the books are not like (laughs) dice. And I feel like I'm going to need at some point, I'm going to need to draw a picture. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I just been, um, I've gotten to where I use the, and I think I've mentioned it in other podcasts, but uh, I've got these little like counting cubes for teachers. They're like a centimeter in Mm -hmm. size. And uh, they come in packs of like, I don't know, 12 different colors uh, in like, you know, a whole bunch of them, like handfuls of them. Uh, I use those a lot. It's just easy to throw them out there. That way you don't have to worry about miniatures. You kind of range them on your dry erase board and everybody kind of has a clear idea of who's where and what's going right. on. 
Yeah, he's no, number kits and yeah. I I like using miniatures for that purpose. Uh the weird thing for me lately has been kind of atmospheric setting, mm-hmm. which has been sort of difficult at conventions because it's hard to convention hall, yeah. But uh at at GaryCon, my games were in their own rooms. So like when I was doing a Call of Cthulhu room, I could mess with the lights. I, when I was describing things, I was walking around the table the whole time. And then if I went a different direction, I, they got a little bit different information. (laughs) So people were paying attention to what was going on. And that's basically anything that immerses people and they forget their regular teachers, doctors, engineers, whatever at a gaming table. I want them to feel like they are the people in the adventure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you can do some of that, but you can't fully immerse somebody. I don't want somebody going into, you know, a schizoid coma or something. Yeah, I, I don't want them punching me because they think I'm a monster. <laughs> right. You know, I don't want to have mazes and monsters. Monster. Going I just on thought reference Purdue. Yeah. Or yeah, Purdue, so. or his character name. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's lots of stuff I like to have at the gaming table from depending on the game and the group and the, the event, but must-haves not a lot and, and it totally to, uh, it totally depends on what kind of game because if yeah, it's D D or something then then you have a little bit more flexibility but if you're in a call of cthulhu game you better have props no uh, you know top shelf man <laughs> come on <laughs> just yeah i think don't you nod your head edwin games. man i want to see a giant <laughs> tome with a padlock on it <laughs> As someone who's been playing this Skype a Cthulhu game for five years, where literally yeah. all we have are each other's voices and a Google Docs, <laughs> like notes. Uh, yeah. I love the props and I love the good props, but I mean, must have. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you don't need it. You, you don't, don't need, need that it. stuff. They're awesome. I love them. I love it. Yeah. Back when they uh, first started uh, having the whole CD-ROM, burnable CD-ROMs, I mean, I'm talking 90s here. Uh, my gaming group was really big into having a uh, soundtrack for the game. Oh, nice. And, and then yeah. there would always be, no matter who put it together, there would always be the, the Conan the Barbarian fight song. And when, oh, that, of course. when that queued up, <laughs> you knew the shit was going down. You know, yep. was like, oh, yep. oh, there's a lich coming. Put on Conan. <laughs> yeah. That's great. All right. We got another letter here. Jonathan Kurtz. He's a, uh, a frequent writer. Glad to have him back again with a letter here. Uh, you throw down the gauntlet. Here's my entry into the contest. So he's getting himself into our contest also. Says, I've long wanted to convert my high school into a dungeon. I've always thought the classrooms, dorms, cafeteria, sports fields, lab, and so on would make the perfect layout for a classic dungeon crawl. Someday, if our hosts were going to use an actual location from their pasts in the game, what would the location be and what would it become? By the way, if your reward is, as you threatened in the past, a farm product, remember I work in the dairy capital of California, so I'll be expecting something more creative than a steaming pie. <laughs> I think we can get you something better than a farm product tonight, Jonathan. Uh, so I don't know, converting that, real life places. That was an obscure reference yeah. that I feel like I missed out on, and I'll just say milking machine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sidetrack here. I got to, uh, so I've, I've, always, I've always lived yes. on a farm. yes. And uh, when I was a kid, uh, my my dad, uh, anytime they went on vacation, it was always a big thing to try to figure out some other farmer that could come and, and milk the goats. He was a big goat farmer. And um, 
So one one year he, he bought a milking machine and it was actually parts of a milking machine they'd built into one milking machine. And so my brother and I, when he first got it running, Robo Milker, we're like sticking the little suction cups like on all you know all our heads and ears and stuff. I go to school the next day with with literally like twelve hickeys all over my face. That is fantastic. Machine. But they're just like, what happened to you, Lou? Uh, milking machine. <laughs> Anyhow, sorry, oh. sidetrack. So, so, so that's going to show up in one of your adventures. People are going to get attacked by the milking machine. It's going to yeah. suck the blood right out through their cheeks. Oh, that's great. It is pretty good. <laughs> uh, so real life uh, locations converting them. What, what, have you done anything? Are you going to do anything? What do you guys think? I have, uh, I have put the house that I grew up uh, in, in Nebraska, in more Call of Cthulhu adventures than I could like pretty much any, the first time some group goes into a, a house that I hadn't planned, that's the house I pull. Cause I know it well. And it was, you know, sort of a interesting enough house with enough rooms. Uh, in fact, I think Skeeter, you've been there in, uh, uh I put it in Northern Maine for you, but yep. I think you've been yep. in that house. Uh, yep. but I think also just because I play a lot of, I run a lot of Call of Cthulhu, um, it's all real world. So if it's a place I know, and you know, I just, I don't even change it. It's just, you're at that hotel or that gas station. Um, so I use, I use a lot of real world stuff. Um, one that I was thinking about though, more from a transform, there was a convent uh, when I was in, uh, in Toulouse, there was this convent that I walked around that was just, just a perfect, it's very symmetric. It had that formal garden in the middle. Like it had the thing that you walk around the garden under yeah. the, under mm-hmm. the, uh, um, under the covered area and then the open garden with the hedges and, and then, you know, the rooms uh, off around that. And just, just a really nice, simple uh, building. And I could totally imagine uh, putting that in as either a, some sort of a a monastery type thing, or as a, as a more, you know, you know, the, the mansion of the, of the big bad, or maybe the good person, I don't know, but. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. No, I get um, I get a lot of floor plans and architectural prints just off the web and take it as a base and then go like, okay, here's the perimeter. What rooms do I want? What am I doing in this adventure? What do I need it to have? Um, And there is a modified version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house in my Mork Borg book that I am (laughs) playtesting at Game Hole. Nice. Um, so yeah. And, uh, Ian McGarty is, is going to do an isometric map that oh, I nice. made, uh, the layout based off of the, yeah, based off of the house. So <laughs> cool. it's, it is, it is super bad. <laughs> that, that one, that one's going to need a warning as well. <laughs> yep. I can imagine. Yeah. So, but yeah, we- uh, architectural blueprints are a great thing to use because you can you know move them around and they're pre-done and they give you a sense of space and scale so and they make sense like they won't you know they're somebody's already thought about the fact that you need this to get to that and you want the kitchen near the dining room and all that kind of stuff you don't have to recreate all that work you can just put the adventure into it yeah it's i know that was a a big complaint about a lot of early adventures is like the castles weren't anything like a real castle as far as their layout and stuff like that so anytime you can use a real world place i i say do it i mean especially if you've been there personally i mean i imagine edwin when you're walking people through your house i mean you know the smells you know the looks you know the feel of the place i mean it's yep 
Just a lot of yeah. Try to try to avoid the uh, rapanathic mistake of a dragon and sixteen ogres in a ten by ten room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was a sauna, right? It hey, was... man. It's like whatever. It's cool. We're having fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that brings us to the main event. Excellent. Dun, dun, dun. This You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right, for the this old dungeon portion of tonight's broadcast, uh, we've got Tomb of Horrors. And this is a, a pick by Skeeter, but I think we we're all excited to do it. It's been on, I think, everybody's list. We just didn't know when it was going to happen. So uh, speaking speaking of real world places, hey, Bill's back. Yeah, he's alive. Hey, what I miss? Uh, we're just getting into Tomb of Horrors. Heard of it? Perfect. Heard of it? <laughs> a little. <laughs> all right. Uh, publishing uh, background. Publishing background. Uh oh. Bill, I think you're echoing on your car. Bill, echoing on your car. Oh, hey, hold on. <laughs> check, check. No. How's that? It's a little check, better, check. I think. Yeah. That's good. Hello. Yeah. All right. All right. So, publishing background. Uh, this started as a, a tournament event in 1975 at the Origins uh, uh, Convention. It was officially public, published in the monochrome version in 1978, and then again in full color, uh, with a full color cover, that is, in 1981. Um, it's ranked the third greatest of all time, uh, as far as adventures go, from the 2004 Dungeon article that, that kind of ranked all that stuff. This is Gary Gygax uh, doing what he does. Uh, this is a death trap dungeon. I know, I mean, this isn't anything deep. Anyone goes online, they're going to find this out. Uh, supposedly, he had some of his players around the table kind of boasting that they think that, you know, they could take about anything. Uh, and he decided he wanted to see if he could kill off like uh, Robert Koontz's character and, and, and his son Ernie's character by making just a super deadly dungeon. And I guess it was kind of prompted also by a, a player, Alan Lucian, which I, I'm not real. That's the first time I've heard that name, but apparently he's, he's pretty well known as being one of the original uh, RPGers from Gary's group. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So, so this is what we got. We've, we've got a, a dungeon here that's the sole design is to kill characters. Um, the printed mm -hmm. module even says, hey, you know, if you want to take your own characters into this, eh, enter at your own risk. And it provides you with some high level pregens to take through it instead, uh, as as it suggests you do. <laughs> so I think one way to use this is just straight up as is, as intended and know what you're getting into and just see what it's like. Like it, I have, I've, I played it before I read it, but I had obviously heard enough about the style of gaming that, and it was, it was fun. Like we knew what we were getting into. We were not attached to our right. characters. Mm -hmm. We were absolutely prepared to not play it, not to role play a character, but to think about how to beat the dungeon as players. Like it was 100% player skill, um figure out how to use your character and and it was it was fun it was a good time and so that that is certainly an option for this dungeon other than that uh boy does it need some work 
<laughs> well, listing it as the third best dungeon ever oh is probably not the moniker you want because that is utter horseshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I have a soft spot in my heart for Tomb of Horrors. I I love it to death. I think it's just great. But just like Edwin says, you have to know what you're in for. Mm. And it, it has to be, you know, what it was designed for. It has to be a convention game. Because if, if you seriously bring in your campaign characters and there, there is something that the GM has decided, oh, I'm going to put it in the Tomb of Horrors and make them go through that. That is an asshole. Sadist, yeah. yeah. I mean, that is, that is awful. So I will, uh, I, I'm a little, little tangent here, but I'm currently writing uh an april fool's adventure for frog god which is basically an attempt to take this turn it up to 11 not not this map or anything but this concept of basically adversarial dungeon writing not even adversarial gming but adversarial dungeon writing turn it up to whatever the dial has to get to for it to come back to being just stupid ass fun uh because <laughs> it's so over the top uh, it has so to i've be been a, actually i've been thinking about this traps. idea a lot but yeah yeah, um, I mean this. This is about as arbitrary as it gets. Like there is so oh, much in sure. here where you're basically flipping a coin to see if you if you die or not. And there's there. I mean there are clues in here. There's some things I want to talk about about those. But so much of this just feels just yeah. It's, yeah. You know. Well, that was that was the uh, entire impetus of Crypt of the Science Wizard was Tomb of Horrors. Right. I right. wanted to make my too much homage to it yeah but i wanted to make it where the traps actually made sense mm -hmm. and so i i did some of the mechanical thinking well if this happens what happens around it what other things are affected by this and i mean tomb of horrors every everything is self-contained in stasis I mean, right right it's, it's like okay that yeah that doesn't exist no that's nope i'm calling bullshit <laughs> you know <laughs> there's so many of those things and so such elaborate wastes of effort i mean it's it's it can only be i mean it, it's like the uh castle greyhawk module from from second edition that was just you know the fun house version uh -huh. of it where they have a movie projector that's just spitting out monsters you know it's that kind of crap but the, yeah i love it yeah no it, well there's a there's a ton of good um individual traps in here that i think i would be yeah. excited to use in various ways there's some nice puzzles in here that i'd be yeah. happy to use um and I mean, also i think i mean Going back to your thing, Skeeter, the you know it comes it comes with the art book, right? Yeah, that's, like, that's awesome. That's huge. That, well, that really that nice caused thing. me to get a tattoo. Yeah, look at that tat. Yeah, <laughs> I can't can't see that on the podcast, but yes, there's a giant demon skull. So every time you scratch your uh, your shoulder, your fingertips disappear. <laughs> yeah, that's how I keep my nails clipped. You, know, right. you got to be real careful though. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> I, I think Tomb of Horrors is kind of a victim of its own context. Um, you know, we, we really do need to remember this was a, a tournament module written in the, the very extreme early days. Well, there you yeah. go. Fell into another <laughs> yes. pit trap. <laughs> yes, so that modules, is true. Yeah, when the module is actually produced for play, um, you know, AD&D had, had barely been out. Um, mm. 
I know we started playing D&D in 77 with the home set and as a group. And I went to high school in 78 and a bunch of us that went to high school that year joined the, the game club. And one of the first things we played, um, the teacher who ran the game club ran tube of horrors. <laughs> he gave us all Take care. That, you we little bastards. No, 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 mind you, we had no idea. Nobody even ever heard of it, right? I mean, he's just running an adventure and he's handing out these 10, 9, 10th, 11th level characters, which none of us had ever seen before, right? I mean, we're right. playing DD. <laughs> I don't think we had been to third or fourth level at the time. So that's how novice most of us were. And, you know, the next thing you know, people are dropping like flies and no one knows what the hell is going on. And, uh, but it was cool as hell. It kind of goes back to the conversation we talked about, about about dying and characters dying and you, you die and you just kind of, okay, we roll up a new character. But I, I think that, you know, the time frame that Tomb of Horrors was written in and what it was written for, it's excellent. Does that age well today? Only if you kind of want to relive that sort of nostalgia, but, but otherwise, you know, I think the adventure in itself, it, it really isn't, it's not so great. I mean, I, I've got a couple issues with it. I love There's it. no story. There's no story. <laughs> and, and so I, I guess my other, my other look at this thing is um, it also kind of gives you insight, like writing a higher level adventure back in the day where, you know, higher level adventures. Now the players want to fight tougher monsters and tougher monsters and tougher monsters, right? It scales so quickly at that, at that level um you know oh we beat this guy now who's next kind of thing um right and i think what gary the kind of the, the little brilliance in this was that he created an adventure that is not dependent on creatures essentially whatsoever yeah um, i mean there's maybe it, like what like six of them in there in the whole game there's, there's, I don't know, there's hardly any i mean it's I, yeah. I can only remember like four but it's you know, it's not a, it's not your traditional monster hunt adventure where you're, you know, your, your, your PCs are pressured because they're battling tough creatures. I mean, okay, mind you, the last encounter is just yeah. F you sure. to everybody, but <laughs> um, it's, uh, I, I think that's kind of the, kind of the genius in this high level adventure. It gets away from the, the ever scaling monster thing and puts the players up against the problem a little bit more so than their characters. Um, yep. So yeah. I want to give it. Its, I, I do want to give it its props in a lot of ways. Does it hold up today? Like I said, really not at all, unless you really, really want to try and relive 1977. So uh, I, I, this is one of the first modules I ever owned. Just the cover sold me, right? You know, and uh, I had no idea it's you know super high level and all this. So I, I've ran this one maybe five times. I've played in it maybe three times. And for someone that hasn't experienced it, you're probably sitting there going, well, you know, how can you play it three times if you've ran it? I mean, wouldn't you know every little piece of it? But you, you don't. I mean, doesn't it's so matter. complex. And, and, and yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, if you don't, you know, do the right thing at the right time or, or if you're not with a party that makes the right decision. Uh, yeah, it, you know, you, you won't make it to the end. And, and, and in having read it, ran it and played it, the furthest I've ever made is, is to the, the final tomb and then instant kill. Bill, you're echoing again. Yeah. Bill, you're echoing again. Uh, I, I try not to right now. I'm trying to shut my Bluetooth off, actually. Is that better or no? Check, check. Uh, check. Yeah, I think it's good. I don't hear an echo now. 
I heard it. I hear it. No, just, yeah, there. there was one just. just yeah, there was one just. You're still well, echoing, goddammit. Damn it. <laughs> I hate to be the guy that has to edit this crap. <laughs> yeah, too. just kidding, Bill. Just kidding, Bill. <laughs> check, check. I think that's good. All right. Yep. So, anyhow, I, I really like it. I did play it, I think it was at Gen Con, the, uh, the COVID year where it was all online. I played it that year. Oh, really cool. enjoyed it. Um, maybe it's nostalgia though, but, but I did, you know, I, I like it because it's challenging. Um, but going in, I knew what I was getting into. And I think like everyone's already said, that makes a huge difference. Well, I kind of think of it like an ugly mutt dog that you've had around forever. I mean, the thing is just gnarly looking, but you love it anyway. So I, I reread the, this afternoon, I read the, the version that's in, uh, tales from the awning portal. So the five E version, and uh, it was interesting because it, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot when I'm updating adventures for Frog God is, you know, can we do save or die? Can we keep some of that? You know, how deadly can we make it? And this is nice for me because Watsi did not pull any punches. Like you can you can just flat out die easily in this in this fifth edition oh, wow. version. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of uh, save or die. And then there's a few no save and you die. Uh, you know, you do this, you die, period. And they just kept it. Is that and, the hallway? Uh, there's <laughs> the hallway. There's, um, yeah, there's the, the the magma, the lava. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah Cause, that hallway. Because yeah, yeah. re really, if you had any way to get out of that, that would be bullshit. Right, yeah. right. That That is, you know, ridiculous trap 101. So, so I think that, so that, I, in that would have been, that would have been in, uh, Grimtooth's traps, but it yeah. was too <laughs> ridiculous. Right, right. So I think the like the freedom, I think what I do like about it is that it stretches the the sort of available the width of what we can do for gaming in D. &D. Like you can point yeah. to this and say, hey, look at this thing. Watsi published this, and you want deadly, you got deadly. Um, and and you know, maybe it's like it's totally not everybody's cup of tea, uh, but but it's there as something we can use and bring into our own game. However we see fit. Well, yeah, let's use that as a transition. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. If you don't know where the boundaries of ridiculous are, you, you don't. And I mean, yeah. I, I say that kind of off the cuff, but if you don't know how far you can push a crowd, then you're robbing them of some of the experience. Now, because you don't know what is going to be considered too cartoony or too okay that we we've had enough that that is over the top <laughs> you know uh, until you push things creatively like that you don't know where that boundary is so you know i have respect for it at least in that case um there are definitely traps in there like edwin said earlier that i would cannibalize and put in something else or have inspired me to do something else it's like hey i think that's great maybe make it about three steps less ridiculous and let's see how that goes yeah so, so i think the i don't know if where the, if this was the transition you were looking for lou but i'm going to make up my own here because the one one big thing i would definitely do differently if i were to run this the one i've never liked the conceit of 
I made this dungeon and I'm, I, I made this just to kill you, but I'm going to give you these hints yeah. to help you through. And so I think what I would really want to do with this one is have, there's two things I would want to do. I want to probably move that information to an Oracle that's outside the dungeon or a soothsayer or something. Like I want, I want the players to get that cool rhyme and riddle stuff, but I would like them not to get it from the person who's trying to kill them. Cause that to me has never made sense. I mean, I understand there's a little like masochism there. Oh, I'm going to taunt them, but it, it, it just, that one, it doesn't work for me, for me. There, um, there so are, I think I would change I, that. Can I jump in on that? Because yeah. that's, that's right on a point that I had is just doesn't make sense for him to, to give him any clues at all. If he just wants to kill him. But then uh, what I've done in the past when I've ran it is I've changed like his motive. Like I thought, well, what if, you know, he knew, he knows eventually as his body's deteriorating, He's going to need like a new body to, to partake in to get himself back out of the ethereal astral realm and all that. Um, so I thought, well, what if this is him basically creating a contest to get the challenging, best, yep. the best, uh, you know, new body to uh, absorb into. So I've kind of rewritten some of his powers in the past and then made that be the thing is he's given him just enough information to get the best of the best there to then, you know, uh, magic jar him or what have you. Yeah, or, or this is a thing to to find the adventurer who can actually go on the real quest to do whatever. Like there's all, yeah, there's a lot of different ways I think you could spin this to have it make sense. Um, the other thing I think I would, the, the, the thing that bothered me reading this, and in this sense, this was sort of, um, I guess is sort of where Gygax effectively was was cheating. Um, there's so many places, even in the fifth of, in the fifth edition one where, you can't find this secret door with magic. You can't do this with magic. It's like you created a world, you created a rule set, you put all these tools in it, and now you've decided to just take them away from the players without any reason, without any uh, any without way even warning. That, like the without players a warning, don't even know that the magic's not working. You know exactly without. There's no and so so we as players have we're we're playing in a world where things work in some way. And now it doesn't work that way. And what you've really done is change the game mechanics on us as opposed to changing the characters, the world, or like it's, and so to me, right. that felt just beyond, as you were saying, Skeeter, you can push it so far. For me, that was, that was, I was like, let me, let me come up with a way to make this stuff work without having to quote unquote cheat. Let me, let me, let me allow magic to find these secret doors that, are, that you should be able to find, or let me think of a way to, give the players another tool that they can find to use in order to do this thing. And they have a reason why their magic's not working. And they know that ahead of time so that it just feels a little less arbitrary. Again, it feels more solvable, more interesting. Well, that wouldn't be the first time Gary decides to break his own rules in an adventure module. I mean, it's sure he does yeah. it all the time. I mean, it's, it, that's vintage Gary. And that's something that I think people change and move out. And I would advise the same thing. I, there's, 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 there's sometimes there's a bridge too far and, and some of that is there, right? I mean, this module, everything in this module is kind of has the opportunity to be just, just a little too much, I guess. So I think dialing some of that back or creating another mechanic around that, I mean, it kind of gets little sloppy but I, I would agree i mean I, I don't like cheating the way we play the game 
day in and day out just to make something work. So I, I think that something has to be modified also. I, I'll let you finish, Edwin, because I also have a few ideas on what I would do for Tomb Horrors. No, I think, well, I'm, I, th- I think I'm good. So on this, I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds about this whole thing because I do very much follow Edwin's philosophy of, okay, so Gary is deciding to change the entire physics of the world and how all natural law operates (laughs) just in this small footprint of this tomb and, you know, calling bullshit on that. Oh, okay. Cause magic could easily take care of this. So you're just going to make it not work. All right. That, that seems a little cheesy, but in the confines of playing a fantasy game where we're talking about dragons flying around <laughs> and demons popping in from other dimensions, some of those physical barriers are kind of just like, whoops. <laughs> anyway. No, no, and that's where so, again, if you can if you can bring it into the world, I'm all I'm all for yeah. it. Like if you want to make an anti-magic thing and but this is like there's no they don't even give the GM a reason yeah. why it doesn't work. Yeah. It just says and, this does not work. I'm like, come yeah. on. Man. And, and I mean you gotta couch that in context. Totally you gotta have like some glyphs or something that you know are on the walls that you know and character with magic identifies, oh, these are glyphs that you know dispel all you know uh what do you call that scrying magic or whatever you know if they get a reason if they you know but just to have it not work and no explanation and no announcement of it not working or whatever yeah i feel that's underdog you know if there was something earlier in one of the hallways where your magic was starting to fizzle out for some reason then that would make yeah. a little bit more sense as you get deeper into this tune yeah, maybe he's drawing the residual magic and that's what's yeah, like running, him the, into running the magic well. generator that's keeping all this other <laughs> shit going you know like something that. like that which is funny because i did something like that in rapid ethic for that very reason <laughs> yeah <But> anyway <laughs> yeah i mean i, I don't know I, i'm i don't mind rules modifying stuff from time to time but rule breaking stuff uh for me just becomes problemsome for a number of reasons i i'm a kind of a continuity guy anyway so if mm. you got Here's how I look at it. If you got all this crap in Tomb of Horrors that's just designed to wipe PCs out, why would it only be in Tomb of Horrors? And how would characters ever get to high level in the first place if shit like this could exist at all? Because it would probably exist in more places. And, you know, D&D would be even more deadlier than it is by nature. Um, well, and it feels like, to me, like it's so close. Like, it's, it's the author making this. Because, like, the author could just say... Well, you walk in, I mean, so he said, if you walk into this entrance, you die. If you walk into this entrance, you got a 50% chance of dying. And if you walk into this third entrance, then you get the whole adventure in front of you. But he could have just as easily said, if you walk into any of the three doors, you die. Right. And, and, and so, so he's and for most people, the game turns out the same. Right. Well, right. <laughs> but, 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 so the point is, so he's somehow trying to decide where to draw the line of, I'm just going to decide that you die because you did this. Uh, and make it still playable and it feels so i keep coming back to arbitrary like it just feels like it's not um yeah it's it's all on him it's all on the author in this sense and nothing about the players nothing about the characters and and, and chance it's it's a series of points where you flip a coin right and once you get the skull flip that's it exactly exactly i mean there there's that that is the thread 
that holds two horrors together. Right. So it's a gambling, I guess it's a gambling game. It's not a, it's not right. what we're used to as a player agency kind of game. I think, well, I think, even, I think it's right, not the too hard even, to change. Right. The module even terminates in that, right? I mean, it, there's, right. there's no playoff I mean, or, or payoff. If somehow some of these guys actually live through and get to the end, there's no payoff. There's no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. There's a, there's a skull that disintegrates you randomly um, at the end of that rainbow. You're probably all going to die anyway. Um, before you, <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot out. of stuff in that too. Yeah, there's <laughs> right. some, there's oh, some yeah. serious yeah. treasure there. I mean, yeah, <laughs> there, there's some, there's some treasure. There, there is, but you're not going to get it. <laughs> so, right. I mean, right. you just, you just, you, you get to the end, so you can die by the, by, you know, by the floating freaking skull. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I think for me, I mean, I like Tuma Horrors in, in a lot of ways for nostalgia and sentimentality but i think if i were you know for me to to move it into modern day a modern day world i i would one i would add more monsters into it and and my reasoning in doing that is i always like the fly in the ointment kind of stuff so who says the pcs are the only ones actually in there trying to get get this you know the, the treasure at the end there there could be you know i think other ways to do is just put some other pcs in there another uh, adventuring party that's a step ahead of the PCs and they could come across bodies here and there in different rooms. They kind of clue them in that something might be going on. Uh, and then they can <laughs> even have some uh, adversarial battles with some of these PCs that might be around or some monsters that have got summoned in and that kind of thing. So I, I think it needs, I think it needs flesh on the bone uh, in that regard. And I think that's kind of what I would do to, uh, to kind of build it up and, out of the just solid trap death trap that it is mm-hmm. um without yeah. and you don't actually have to remove all the death traps you leave some right. of them in there you can signal or, them with the dead bodies exactly mm-hmm. exactly or or even the, a dead body might have some sort of clue on it you know i mean just to give them a little more of an avenue to kind of navigate this thing and i would completely change the 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 big bad payoff part and I, I like the idea of doing something with Azure. I mean, hey, you got here. Guess what? I'm gonna teleport you all to this place here for some nefarious thing that I've got in mind. Mm-hmm. Um or hey you made it. You each get this. By the way, now that you got here, you inadvertently brought something with you and I'm back, baby. Um <laughs> so I I think that's kind of what I you know I would like to do so what you know as we brought this up a few weeks because we're doing two more it's kind of I think where I would go with it. I think I would, I'm not always in favor of making something larger than it is, but I think in this case, I think that's what I would do. I would actually increase uh, the volume of the adventure, quote unquote. Um, I, I like the death trap dungeon. I do, but I think it, there's a, there also has to be some sort of level of fairness to it also. And we all know Tomb of Horrors as written is patently unfair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to say, though, as re- rereading it, um, I was really impressed again at how small it is and how much is packed into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that, you know, we all have different memories of, but we all have memories of it. And, and the, you know, everyone in the gaming sphere, at least in the D&D gaming sphere, knows about it and has heard tales about it. And it's not, it's not much like it's, you know, it's in, in, in uh, 12 pages, 
Exactly. I was going to say it's, the, it's, without it's, the right. illustration book, twelve pages. Exactly. Exactly. Now and, and now uh, it's seven point five, but it's twelve yeah. pages. <laughs> well, and in the five E version, it's it's pretty short too. I think it was eight or ten pages, and it's slightly bigger. But yeah, it's just so compact, mm-hmm. and there's just so much in there, and so many of the things that are in there are bigger than life. Are, are things that yeah. you will not forget. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. One of the things I think I would have to change, there's several traps. I'll give you an example, but there's several of them like this. Um, the gargoyle statue trap, where it's got the three arms and the one broken off, and you got to put gems in the hands, and it's going to crush, crush the gems. But yeah. then it's going to open up, and then you got to put more gems in his hands, and it's going to crush them. And then yeah. it's going to open up, and guess what? If you do it a third time, then you get the thing in the other hand, the magic ring or whatever. It, to me, that's ridiculous. Like that's and nobody. who would fucking know to do that? Yeah, now I can see somebody putting something in the hand just to see what would happen. Right but to do it, have it destroyed, and then do it two more times. Nah, man, I you you, you got to have it like clue in. Like it, it it closes the first hand and crushes that gem. Closes the hand, crushes the second. Closes the hand, crushes the third. Then give them the ring because they're not going to put more gems in, you know, and, and they're not going to keep putting them in if it crushes it and then opens its hand again. You know, it's they got to see progress. They got to see that something's happening. And there's lots yeah. of them like that in this. Yeah. And I think you could do it. You could either give it to them right away or you could just have something change. Like as long uh-huh. as there's some progress, difference. Yeah. 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 To make it worth it, to make it interesting, because you're given 10 gems in the room before. Like, it's not yeah. like you don't have the, the tools here, but. Yeah, you got to see some reason to do that. And there's there's a lot of, as you say, there's a lot of traps like that. It's like, well, you can do this or that, but there's no reason to choose one or the other. There's no information there. It's like, it's the same. You know, you go, do you go left or you go right? Oh, I don't know. Are they different? No. Well, then who cares? <laughs> like a, right. Exactly. Oh, you're dead. You chose the wrong one. Oh, great. Right. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can I go back and choose the other one? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I go the other way. <laughs> All right. So here's. Here's a question I have for you guys that is very pertinent to this. <laughs> oh, Billy, got that go again. So, the demon mouth. I I keep waiting to see if Bill's actually. Do you want to just mute, mute, mute him? I, uh, let's see. I can do that, can't I? I've got power. Let's see. <laughs> Nope, maybe I don't. Come on. Uh, participants. Uh, I can mute him. Yeah, I think you do, Bill. There we go. Uh, more. Oh, no, I can't. If you go to the participants thing. Yeah, that's where I'm at. And I'm clicking. But for some reason, I don't know if it's because we're recording or what. Or maybe I, I didn't know. turn permissions on. I don't know. But yeah, yeah the way it records, his his audio is going to come separate. <coughs> so I can, I, as long as you act like it's not there, I should be able to edit it out and post. So anyway, the demon mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are we, are we going to have spoilers? Because I have to ask. Oh, yeah. This, anyone listening to this is wanting right. to know about okay. the adventure. And, yeah. Okay. So you get teleported or you get disintegrated. If you're testing, like if you put a 10-foot pole in the middle of that thing's mouth, how do you roll what happens to it? Like does if you feed a 10-foot pole in there, does it just get sheared off or does the entire thing disappear? This is the annihilation uh, circle yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. In my mind, yeah. In fact, the, 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 when I was thinking of signaling the trap, I was imagining the body that has no hands and no head because it just, the, the person just sort of leaned into the thing and it just, whoop, and then yeah. they fell to the ground. So that's what I've always wondered is 
when you have, you know, the difference between the disintegration and a teleportation thing, do you have to fully go in to a teleportation blackness to, to make it work? Or as soon as you touch it, do you disappear? And I then, recently read one that was that actually specifically said as soon as you touch it, if you're holding the, the key, I don't remember what you had to be holding, but as soon as you touch it, you're gone. Where and if you don't have the key, you can walk right through it and nothing happens. And I, I was I appreciated the author clarifying that because right. I'm with you. It's a it's a it's a eh. and then you're like, well, I go through, but I'm wearing a rope, and then you get teleported. Does the rope stay behind? Right. That's one of All those that kind things of stuff. That yeah. I, I need more. I need yeah. more information. Yeah. I always how just that lean, exactly works. Like what will be most interesting for the players? So like, you know, the teleportation thing, I would be like, you got to be all in. Cause then they don't know where you went. You know, it's, they don't see you disappear. They just know you went in and now you're not there. Uh, versus, you know, seeing the body kind of magically, you know, um, the uh, annihilation sphere, as you put things into it, it's, you know, disintegrating them. That way you can kind of test it and realize, Oh, maybe we shouldn't go in there. <laughs> the rope thing, I like the idea of the rope just suddenly snapping and dropping to the ground. I don't know. Whatever the story wants, you know. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that I have an issue with is how exactly that is described and how you would fucking know no. what to do. It's like, oh, it's a 50-50 shot. You either get to die horribly or you get to go somewhere and die horribly later. <laughs> one of these times I'm gonna I'm gonna make this trap, except I think you just turn invisible and fall unconscious. <laughs> that's that's in something else i think probably I, everything I, is <laughs> I, I actually i think that's a grimtooth is it i i think it was in Excellent. one of those books yeah and and i i think the idea was that the party just leaves exactly you don't the know party's where you're gonna at look for you because you're and, teleported right yeah and yeah so <laughs> you know there's a lot of ways to look at stuff like that yeah. yep all right uh any other changes you guys would make Oh my God, we don't have that much time. Yeah, anything but, you want to really get out there. But honestly, I I can't really say much because I did it. That is Crypt of the Science Wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I addressed the okay. You can't have living things in this tomb that only gets visited once every couple of decades. <laughs> the siren. You know, yeah, I mean that that stuff is is out in mine and. I have constructs and things in suspended animation for that very reason. Uh, but for the most part, the obstacles in Crypt of the Science Wizard are not time sensitive. They are, they are based on player interactions. And I've, I've had a number of people ask me, this goes back to a point that Edwin made earlier, um, you know, what's the right way to bypass such and such obstacle in Crypt of the Science Wizard? And I'm like, the way that doesn't I, get you killed. <laughs> well, no, I tell everybody, I don't know. Right. I didn't I didn't design this with a path through it. Impress me with your uh, <laughs> deductive ability. This is designed to kill you, not to test you. So that's that goes back to the whole thing. Why is this tomb even here? Um, and then later on, I. I had left a essentially a back door so it could be expanded later. And I'm, I'm running the expansion at North Texas next week. So should be quite interesting. Well, yeah, I, I agree with Edwin the, when he makes the point of, you know, is this here to test somebody 
because you're going to be my champion and do another thing or what it's just the whole concept of tomb of horrors is just like what what yeah no uh peace out man i'm gonna run a farm i'm not doing this <laughs> right this yeah, yeah i mean even on the players and we didn't really talk much about that but because the players need more motive to go in like what's before, in there they really want <laughs> before you even get in to the tomb and find the correct door you have to trek through a fucking swamp, swamp for a week <laughs> i mean it's like um yeah no th- this this seems like a nope <laughs> well and you gotta you gotta dig out a hill like, yeah Right, you come to a hillside. Um, okay, uh, I walk around it. You don't see anything. Okay, I leave. <laughs> yeah, okay. This, this is this just is rumor. The, this oh, well. is the wrong spot. I'm out. Yeah, you know. No, I get on my shovel <laughs> and I dig for four hours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I know Bill is moving to Florida, but I cannot imagine anybody just deciding. Fuck it, man. I'm going to go out in the Everglades with a shovel and see what happens. <laughs> you know, that that doesn't seem like something you would do. Uh, I don't well, know. What do I know? <laughs> all I'm right. Good. Bill, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really disappointed in the level of professionalism and in, in you guys. <laughs> I mean, I like this man on the street thing that Marsh is doing, but I mean, come on. Yeah, we got we got to get him hooked up a little better. Yeah, I have to get him in front of the mic at the convention. He can uh, retape his lines. Oh, that'll be nice. Serve him right. Yeah, but he has to do it just off memory. Right. You can't give him a transcript or anything. Oh, man. Good stuff. Well, that. I think, uh, Bill, I, I, if you're there, uh, do, do you have any final thoughts on Tomb of Horrors before we move on? Um, I do not. I think I said my piece on it, and I'm, I'm happy with it. All right. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of the episode, a little game we like to call Geek Credits. Hey, hey, you. Do you have any Geek credit? Uh, can I get a loan? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this episode, we're starting something a little different. We're going to have an at-home player. Uh, let me get a four-sided die. So we got four people that wrote in, either giving us actual mail or just writing in and saying, hey, I want to be an at-home player. So we got Christopher Tupa, Godfrey Donaldson. John Larson wrote in, said he'd like to be part of this. And then Jonathan Kurtz. So uh, I vote that- for Godfrey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could just do that. Yeah, we should make it uh, make the little math uh, rocks. Make it the- fair. <laughs> so yeah, we could go to horror on this. That's right. Yeah, I choose. Um, <laughs> none you of know, you. You all die. Nothing. It, I get it's the one die. with the most vowels. Didn't you know? It's the one with the most vowels in your name. If you have more vowels. <laughs> than- <laughs> all right. So uh, in the order I just read those names, uh, we're just gonna roll a D four. See what we get here. Uh, and uh, that is a number three, John Larson. So, John, uh, thank you for sending in your entry. And uh, uh, in in honor of having Skeeter here, I actually have an extra copy of uh, Tomb of the Science Wizard. 
and uh, to the science Crypt wizard. Of, yeah, that one because Tomb of the Science Wizard is a ripoff. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Somebody yeah. else wrote that. <laughs> I wondered why it was all in Spanish. Uh, <laughs> Crypt of the Science Wizard. Oh my goodness! I'll just edit. Does that. that have a Frog God logo on it? <laughs> <laughs> Bill, damn it! But it's a three-legged uh, frog. They, it's, oh, yeah. it's not quite yeah. the real logo. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Crypt of the Science Wizard. Uh, if Skeeter can get his three out of five questions correct uh oh, mr boy. john larson uh, that module is coming to you uh full and complete so well wow. i know john i know john so uh there is zero pressure on me to get this right <laughs> <laughs> and, and i guess john I'll, I'll, if if you already have crypt the science wizard when i get your address let me know and and we'll flip it out with either something i've got or something bill's got or whoever i yeah, don't know I'll, 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 I could be the backup, no worries. So, so uh, here comes the questions. These uh, should be multiple choice. I'm so yeah. nervous. <laughs> Good. It's that immersion <laughs> thing, right? We yeah. Fear. Yeah, I'm tense. <laughs> All right. So, uh, my would first be question. Would you start asking you He-Man questions? Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that was a terrible <laughs> episode, and we will not wait, speak of it again. Post this fruit pies. Anyone? That was what you had. Yeah, you had the, the post this fruit pie pie, eh, pie questions. Anyhow, first question. Which of these movies, based on a book, had the main character in the book entering the Tomb of Horrors to complete a challenge? So this is a, there was a recent movie of this, uh, but it came from a book. And in the book, not in the movie version, but in the book version, the main character had to actually go into the Tomb of Horrors. Was it Escape from Spiderhead, Free Guy, Ready Player One, or Sucker Punch? Again, the choices are Escape from Spiderhead, Free Guy, Ready Player One, or Sucker Punch. And which one in the book did they actually go to the Tomb of Horrors? I'm going to say Ready Player One. Ding, 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 ding. You got it, buddy. That's what I would have said, too. Yeah, that was was the only only thing I could think of. Well, (laughs) because in the movie, on their truck, they have... A Sarah X mm-hmm. face. Yep. So I was assuming that they were kind of using that as the, you know, going into the tomb. But anyway, I got one. I don't give a shit, bitches. <laughs> Not going home. I, I'm, I'm going to take my win. That's right. <laughs> All right. What do, you, we what do you guys want to feed in or you want me to sure. go home for a minute? No, I've got, I got one here. So one of the following is known by some. <laughs> Oh man, you guys know right. I gotta get ready for a convention. I can't do this much editing. Holy crap! <laughs> oh, you should have known if I'm on here. <laughs> One of the following is known by some as Cthulhu's or Cthulhu's brother. <laughs> is it A. Catilla, B. Catanid, C. Tith, or D. Derlith? I think you made up all of those names. Uh, question. Okay, can you do them again? Because now I I'm can. trying to think of the the pronunciation. A. Phila, B. Cathanid, C. Tith, and D. Derlith. God, for some reason, I want to say it's number two, but I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Ding, ding, ding. Cathanid. All right. All right. Wow. The only one I made up was Durlith, of course. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, this, this could be the deciding factor right here. Question number three, if he gets this, you get it. Uh, 
in 2000. 2000- oh shit! If I get it right, that means John gets something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, get it right. oh, I totally misunderstood the game. <laughs> <laughs> in two thousand three, author Brian Jelke wrote a pastiche of Tomb of Horrors called Tomb of Unspeakable Horrors for what game system? So, what game system was Tomb of Unspeakable Horrors written for? Oh, was Jesus. It- Okay. I bet you'll get this. Was it Castles and Crusades, Adventure with an exclamation point, Orc, the role playing game, or Hackmaster? Choices again. I got to go with Hackmaster. You got it. That's three. He's got his geek credit, folks. All right. I am a geek. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Somebody want to fill in one and then we'll, we'll close with the fifth. That's right. you, Bill. Oh, we lost him. It's all you, Lou. <laughs> and he's out. <laughs> all right. I'll hit you with the fourth. Hopefully, he'll be back for the fifth. Fourth right. question. Um, I'm going to kind of play into the, uh, the the Valley of Lost Time here. Um, in which of these dino-themed movies do you get to see cowboys lassoing a stop-motion allosaurus? Okay, so cowboys capturing a, a stop-motion allosaurus. Was it in the movie Planet of the Dinosaurs? Was it in the movie The Valley of Gwangi? Was it in the movie Son of Kong? Or was it in the movie Brokeback Mountain BC? Cowboys lassoing dinosaurs. Man, I, I love the titles. And uh, the Gwangi movie poster was actually the inspiration for uh, part four of The Valley Out of Time. Uh lassoing an allosaurus shit uh number one planet of the dinosaurs yeah oh no it was valley of guangi okay yeah that's yeah i i couldn't remember i've seen about a hundred old (laughs) (laughs) 60s and 70s monster movie posters so well you got your credit so this this is icing on the cake if you got that um, but yeah, I, I actually have a little thumbnail of that movie poster and that was actually number three that, cause I do all the text on the side around the box, uh, where it's boxed out. So yeah, that was, that was the inspiration <laughs> for that. All right. I got, all right. I got a fifth question here. All right. You ready? Hit me with a fifth. <laughs> all right. Of the following four dinosaurs, which one is the oldest? Okay. So you've got Stegosaurus, you've got Iguanodon, you've got our old friend Tyrannosaurus Rex, and you've got Plateosaurus. I'm going to go with the last one. You're going to get it. Uh, That is five, four, five, I believe. Super geek here. It's actually four for five. I got four. I got still 80%. Man. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. That's, That's still pretty yeah. geeky. Yeah. yeah. Pretty geeky. Yeah. Well, be, considering man. that I used the actual answer <laughs> as a template for something, I, I, I want partial credit for that one. Yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned it first. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. he's going to get this. Yeah. All right. Awesome. But yeah. We, no, we've lost. Great. We've lost Bill, but hopefully, wherever he's traveling, he's safe and, and uh, we'll reconnect here for the, the next episode. Um, Skeeter, on the way out here, man. Tell them where to go for your Kickstarter. Tell them, uh, you know, what's coming up. It's uh, the Valley Out of Time for Swords and Wizardry and DCC. 
this is for part three and four. Uh, it's on Kickstarter right now. You can search for it by the Valley Out of Time or by SGP or by my name, Skeeter Green, or go on Facebook. I try to post it all over the place. Independent Publishers Union is uh, me and Jim Wampler with Mud Puppy Games, Levi Combs with Planet X, uh, Ian McGarty and Rocky Gardner with Powerhouse Group, Silver Boulet, Silver Boulet and Jeffrey Talanian with wow. Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer of This Goddamn Title is Too Long. <laughs> uh, that is Hyperborea. Uh, and at North Texas, Zach Glazer and myself are going to do our small publisher seminar. I'm running uh, Crypt Level 2, and I'm already exhausted just by saying all that, <laughs> let alone doing it. So yep. come on out you, if man. you're going to awesome. be at North Texas. Uh, should be a blast. All right, folks. Uh, many pleasant nights and days of gaming ahead for you, I hope. Uh, this has been Lou Alu. See y'all. This is Edwin. Thank you, everybody. We love you. You've been listening to This Old Dungeon, copyright 2022. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are, well, hey, we're just a bunch of bullshitters, so you do the math. If you have any requests or any correspondence you'd like to send, send it to thisolddungeon at gmail.com. Have a wonderful day.